It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Being dogs properly and responsibly. That's what we're trying to do. We can't do it anymore. I was so angry listening to him. A hundred euro is all we'll get, basically, for our baby. Between the jazz and Christmas, you know, you could slip in a bank holiday in, you know, late November, early December. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with P.J. There was a time when this was called uh, Spy Wednesday and it was a time and it's not I kind of wonder when this changed does anybody remember this was the time that I used to get when I was a kid and in teenager too for that matter I used to get my holidays my Easter holidays on the Wednesday before Easter you'd be off on Thursday and Friday and I used to be off then until the Tuesday we are the Monday week but now the kids are off since about the middle of March aren't they until nearly May I, I do jest but yeah they used to call this uh, Spy Wednesday and then tomorrow of course Holy Thursday and Friday Good Friday see there's a bunch of labour councillors in Cork I'll give you more on this later but a bunch of labour councillors in Cork want the Good Friday to be a public holiday and I have to say I'm inclined to agree with them um, we'll throw it out there for what it's worth during the morning because it's one of the confusing ones. I don't work Good Friday. I haven't for many, many years. It's not nothing to do with religion. I just like to extend my Easter weekend to a to a decent length. So I don't I don't do Good Fridays, but I have to take it as a day's leave. And the, the Labour Party in Cork are looking to make it into a public holiday. Now the chances of us getting one. <coughs> Excuse me, given that we already just got one for St. Bridget's Day, are slim to nothing, but we'll talk about it at least. That and plenty more as we go through the morning. Also, the woman who called the fire brigade when she thought her house was in danger from a gorse fire and the very saucy bill that they sent her afterwards. That's to come. But first of all, Two news stories of local interest in the last 24 hours. One was a fatal house fire in Douglas. And the other was a man... I'll start with this one, Maureen Tuig, from the Cork's 96FM newsroom. A man who I believe was tipped into or out of a bin on a street in Killarney. And he happens to be from Cork. Good morning. 
Good morning to you, PJ. Yeah, this happened uh, yesterday morning in Killarney um, on New Street. So it was 7 a.m. yesterday morning. As you can imagine, the, the bin lorry was going along, uh, picking up the, the bins. They're known as receptacles, yeah. is, is what those bins are known as, and they're being uh, tipped into to those bin lorries. And um, it's believed that the man, as you say, who's from, uh, believed to be from County Cork, is that he'd been socialising in Killarney the night before he'd fallen asleep in the receptacle and that he'd been then tipped into the, the refuse truck at that, uh, I suppose, bin collection time. Um, and he covering, he's taken to University Hospital Kerry. The workers spotted the man and uh, the reports say that he wasn't seriously injured, but he has been taken to University Hospital Kerry for treatment. Very close call for this. I know New Street. I know those receptacles. I'm only, only in New Street at the weekend. I, I know those those bins, stroke receptacles. They just just fell asleep. They reckon. Just that that's what it's understood to have happened. That he'd been out socialising in Killarney the night before it fell. Oh, when oh. it came around to, to collection time in the morning, um, that that he was still in there and it was tipped into the refuse truck. Now, um, I was having a read around and I was look, listening to Radio Kerry, and you know they were saying that workers quickly spotted the man and that he wasn't seriously injured. But I, I suppose you'd see that as that it was lucky that they spotted him and um and that he'd been taken to mm-hmm. hospital for treatment. Now the Health and Safety Authority, the HSA, uh, they're aware of this incident and they are investigating the matter. And the emergency services were at the scene, you know, the guy, the, the, the fire service in Kerry um, all attended the scene. Now, we understand the man is, is in and around 40 years of age and, and from County Cork. Yeah, he would have been. He, it was a very close call because he could have been tipped into the hopper or anything like that. So hopefully he'll make a full recovery. Uh, Maureen, the other one was a fatal house fire. I heard about this last evening in Douglas. Now, no one has been identified just yet. There is a name going around, but because we haven't confirmed it, we're not going to use it. But what happened in this case? Yeah, so this was at around 3.15pm yesterday afternoon, the middle of the afternoon, bright, and the, it was on uh, Douglas Road West where the fire broke out at a property and uh, the alarm was raised and the emergency services responded, units of the fire service Manglesey Street Gardaí um, responded to the scene. A man in his 50s uh, was pronounced dead at the scene, as they say on Douglas West, the area was cordoned off and his body has been removed to Cork University Hospital where a post-mortem will take place. Now, they say their inquiries are ongoing and, you know, to establish exactly what happened here, what caused the fire. Yeah, it was middle of the afternoon. Um, so there's, It was, it was. They've not established yet whether, whether it was accidental or how it was caused and the man hasn't yet been there's identified. Been- Absolutely, there's been none of that. And as you can imagine, because it's the Easter holidays and I heard you talking about it there when the kids get their holidays now, there would have probably been less footfall around the area at the time because there is no school collection time. Um, and so, yeah, this happened quarter past three yesterday afternoon and uh, and the emergency services responded. Now, local representatives in the area have been praising the, you know, the fire service for their prompt response and, yeah. and getting to the scene. And because of where it happened, you know, there's a, a lot of other houses and businesses around that area Indeed. as well. So the, the fire service have been praised for their prompt response to this. And, and as they say, uh, a man in his 50s died in, in, in the fire and, and uh, post-mortem will take place at Cork University. 
Varsity Hospital and, and those inquiries are ongoing to establish exactly what happened in, in this tragic incident. All right, Maureen, we'll leave it there. And if we hear any more, particularly if that name is confirmed this morning, we'll certainly come back to you. Thank you, Maureen Twig from the Cork 96 FM News. That guy in Kerry, though, that's a miraculous escape. I was only in New Street at the weekend um, and I've seen these bins and it's like I imagine a morning it doesn't it doesn't bear thinking about. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Just a little bit on that and let you think about it. So we currently have in this country we have got now ten public holidays, stroke bank holidays. I don't mind trying to explain what one is and the other isn't, right? Just go with me on this. We've ten public holidays. Our most recent edition was the Monday after St. Bridget's Day the first Monday in February. Uh, Holy Thursday is just an ordinary Thursday. But Good Friday, the Labour Party are asking for it to be made another public holiday. John Maher, city councillor, said it's unfair for workers as the situation currently stands because some places close, obviously schools will be closed, banks will be closed, some businesses will be closed on Good Friday, but others won't. And even if your business is closed, you have no automatic entitlement to time off. So if you want time off for Good Friday, you need to take it as a regular day's leave. And it is confusing because some offices are open, some offices are closed, banks are closed, schools are closed. So teachers are often getting paid. The rest of us are not. That's John Maher saying it's unfair. Uh, Peter Horgan, who's also involved with the Labour Party local area rep in Cork City South East, he just said the situation needs to be regularised so that everyone knows how to treat um, Good Friday. The Cork Business Association, I'm reading from the examiner here, not or the echo rather, not overly impressed with the idea. Uh, Kevin Hurley, the current president, said, look, he's a Catholic himself, he understands the need that people would have to mark Good Friday uh, for religious reasons but he feels there's no need for an additional public holiday. But business people would say that, wouldn't they? He says there's already been an extra one in February and we have to pay staff for these extra bank holidays. I think there's enough as it is and an extra bank holiday would be unfair on business and on employers. He said Leo Varadkar came out and gave that extra public holiday without consulting anyone. And I think there's enough public holidays there, to be honest, says Kevin Hurley. Well, let's just compare what he says there. Interestingly enough, the UK has the lowest number I can find in this part of the world. They've eight. The highest is Portugal, Poland, Sweden and Austria, who have 13. Greece has 12. France, Germany and Finland have 11. Spain have nine and we have ten. Now that's just, they're national ones. There are loads of regional ones, particularly in Spain. So we're up there. But the, av- the, the European average is around 12 now. So have a think about it. Do you think Good Friday should be a day off for us all? A public holiday where we just, the banks are closed anyway. A lot of offices are closed. Should we just extend it to being another public holiday? 0818969696. Also be looking at names that you hate. Did you know there are people who've called their children denim? I'm I'm kidding you not. And burger and carrion. <laughs> they published a list of a hundred worst. Yes, carrion. 
it probably, oh, doesn't that sound lovely for little baby girl? Or baby boy, as the case may be, carrion. Clearly, they've no idea what the word means. There's a survey has been done now that says that quite a number of us would change our name if we were given the opportunity to do so. So you can change your name anytime you want. Can't you? That's for later. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You You make me feel only on Cork's 96FM. You know, they say that we all have a book in us. What if you can't read or write? How do you actually come up with a book? How do you also get a number of university degrees and practice as an occupational therapist if you can't uh, read or write? I'll talk to someone later who is doing or has done just that. But first of all, Brigitte, you, you got a fright recently. Um near your home, gorse fire, angry gorse fire near your home. You called the fire brigade and you got an even bigger fright after you called them. Good morning. Good morning. What happened? Well, I had a fire, gorse fire, coming very close to my house uh, one night of those three nights when there were lots of fires around on Mesenhead. And the 27th of February mm-hmm. in the evening, seven o'clock. I called them and it took a while to come out. So it was probably around seven thirty that they were there. I already had the experience last year that the fire came very, very close to my house. And um so I was alerted kind of. Yeah. So in the evening when I went down for um to, to the village for some reason, I saw that the fire had really come up, fully up the hill. So I turned around, went up, and it was close, very close to the house again. There was, this time, the road that uh, goes up to the hill was in between the house and the fire, but the, it was already dark. Yes. You could hear the, the flames. You could, it was all red. It felt so threatening again. Yes. And I called a, a, a friend here to, to ask him, what, what do I do? Do I call them again? And he said, if you feel like that, do it. So I did it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and they came out and on the bill it says, um, fire extinguished, um, fire very coming close to the house, who is extinguished. So, so you so, you called the fire brigade to come out because you were afraid oh, yes. you were afraid that this oh, gorse fire was death. going to. Yeah. And how much did they send you? How much of a bill have they sent you? Uh, it was the exact amount was two thousand four hundred and sixty four euros. What? Yeah, that was the amount on the bill, and I I thought hey, how how that because last year. 
It was the first time that I had to call the fire brigade. I have the house since 1988. Yes. I know about these fires. I can see them every year watching from my window where they spread over sheep's head and mizzen head. But last year and this year, they were really extraordinary. And the first time they came so close to my house. Yeah? Yes. So um, last year I was like, I, I asked, I called the fire brigade and, and uh, uh, no, I called a guy who is part of the fire brigade and in Skull, because it was Skull fire, fire Brigade who came out. Sure. And he said, no, that's a free service if it started on Commonage land. So this year I didn't even think about that I could get a bill. You called yeah. them last year and there was no charge. No charge. And, no charge and, at all. And you called them this year, 2,464 yes. euros. Yes. Are you going to pay it? No. Well, this, the situation is, it, there was an article in the Seventh Star last Wednesday uh, about the bill. And two days later, I got a letter from County Council saying, I refer to the above invoice issued by Fire Services Cork County Council on 23rd of March, 23. I have reviewed the file and I believe that due to the circumstances of the incident, incident, that no charges should be levied. Sorry for any inconvenience caused. Oh, that's a relief. That's a relief. That's a big relief, I tell you. So, so they sent you the bill, but now you're not going to be charged. No, I'm not going to be charged. Well, that's a good thing. That's yes. a good, but, but, but I think I'm not the only person who got an invoice. And it will be interesting if more people come back to the Southern Star or wherever, I don't know, to, uh, to, to say that they got a bill as well, because I assume I'm not the only one. Would it put I, you off ringing the fire brigade again? Put, it, put me off? No, because I know there is the regulations of the fire brigade is that if a fire is started by somebody unknown on, um, on, on Commonage land, you are not charged for it. Because it's not your fault. Yes. It wasn't my fault. The fire wasn't my fault. It's not, and that's the main issue anyway. Those fires are started by people, and it threatens so many people losing their home. I mean, this year it was extreme. Yes. Um, it's also damaging so much wildlife, which is living on the ground, nesting, yes. and um, and also the smoke that. Um, uh, coming out of it. I was yeah. amazed at the time to learn that it was quite legal to do this. Yeah, I'm so surprised that it's still allowed and I think it should be banned anyway. And I know three houses at least who were really in danger yeah. and that's not that's not um, okay, you know. Yeah. That shouldn't be allowed. That's my yeah. opinion. So a great, a great relief to you that you don't have to pay the bill. Yes. Yes, uh, yes, and I wouldn't have accepted it because the the regulations say that it's not my um, responsibility that the fire has started, and I'm I'm allowed to you to call the fire brigade, and that's a a very important uh, message also to all people who experience the same situation that they still know that they are allowed to um, to call the fire brigade. Indeed. And that it's free. 
Yeah. Indeed. Brigitte, yeah. thank you. I wish you a good day. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. At least it's been... Thanks, Brigitte. At least it's been sorted for her now. That whoever looked at the file in in County Hall, or wherever they looked at it, had, had the functioning brain space to be able to say, uh-uh, she shouldn't be charged that. Imagine getting that. Imagine calling the fire brigade, though, because there's a gorse where threatening to engulf your house or threatening to engulf your land, and then you get it landed with a bill for 2,000 and something. You get that, nearly get a heart attack. 0818 96 96 96. I just want to throw this out there for what you think it's worth. I don't see it happening anytime soon. But the Labour Party looking to make Good Friday, Labour Party in Cork anyway, looking to make Good Friday into an actual holiday. Now it's not. Banks closed, schools are closed, etc., etc. But it's not an actual holiday. If, if you want the day off, you have to take it as a, as a day's leave. The Baldy Barber was on. He said, we've 10 bank holidays. If a barber shop takes in 500 euro of a Monday to close 10 bank holidays, it'll cost 5,000 euros and two staff get paid over €2,000 for being off work. The owner gets nothing for being closed, says the Baldy Barber. Well, it's not all. that's not ten Mondays off, Mick, because Christmas Day and Stephen's Day are two of them, when I assume you'd be closed anyway. Can't be seen too many people looking for a haircut of Christmas Day or Stephen's Day. Patrick's Day is another one of them. She wouldn't begrudge that to anybody. Um... The new St. Bridget's Day, people were complaining about the cost of that for business, and that's fair enough. But the other thing about it is that there's nothing to stop you opening your barbershop on the afternoon of a holiday and working it yourself, Mick, or paying one member of staff to be there in case somebody wants to come in. There's nothing to stop you doing that. Just because it's a holiday day doesn't mean you have to close. Actually, is it just me? I, I must say I was quite annoyed in a small little way, at the number of places that were wide open for a full day's trading on St. Patrick's Day. And I don't mean now pubs, restaurants, that kind of thing. They're, that they're going to make hay while the sun shines that day. I think all of the supermarkets, all of the big supermarkets were all open for pretty much a full day on St. Patrick's Day. Like, is nothing sacred? Have we no respect for our national holiday at all? that we couldn't close for St. Patrick's Day. I have no problem with small corner shops being open. I have no problem with that. But, like, could we not close for our national holiday? Like, you can, everything, every second thing was open as if it was a normal day. 0818 96 96 96. Now, Hannah Daly, congratulations on the writing of your book. Um, but I do want to ask you, uh, how on earth does one write a book when one cannot read or write. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, Good question. So I have severe dyslexia and that affects my reading and dyspraxia that affects my ability to write. So my education has been very non-conventional. So I have always used readers and scribes or audio books um, or voice pods to read and write, I suppose, substitute. So that's exactly what I did when I wrote the book. You're I a paediatric occupational therapist. You have both a degree and a master's. Like, yeah. Let's let's start at the start. We know what dyslexia is, or at least we think we do. It's it's word blindness. Yeah. Dyspraxia is kind of you'd find it extremely difficult to pick up a pen, for example, 
or, or yes, yeah, mo- kind of or walk. Yeah, it's the motor coordination. So that means like gross motor, which is like moving, climbing, jumping. So I would have fallen over a lot, banged my head. Um, and just a bit more clumsy is the word they used to describe it as clumsy child syndrome, you know, and these kind of terminologies. And then the dyspraxia is my precision. So how I use, as you said, use a pencil or knives and forks or tie my shoelaces or do the buttons that impacts me that way. But it also has an impact on my social interaction and being able to be not in, in other people's spaces and not kind of that executive functioning. So how you know what you're going to do next and sequence things that's affected for a child or a person with dyspraxia. So that's a massive thing too. And then the social cues we miss sometimes. And you also have sensory processing disorder. (laughs) I do, just to make it fun. Being Um, Hannah sounds difficult, Hannah. I know no different. No, it is challenging. And the biggest challenge is trying to interact with a system or society that's very read-write, that doesn't get why noises or bright lights or crowded environments might be stressful for someone and that it can have a massive impact, which may lead in a, in a, a meltdown or, you know, a shutting off kind of reaction. And that's really hard to, for people to grasp. So if you're trying to learn in a busy school environment or in a university and there's people talking, munching, there's smells, there's bright lights, there's a bzzz noise, it's, it feels like you're just having to work so hard to block all of these different things out and then take all the information in because I can't go home and read it. Um, you know, I have to get someone to read it to me. So it's massively challenging. But equally, I suppose the reason I wrote the story is because if little ad- adaptations are made, if people bend the system to allow other people like me who are neurodiverse um, to access it, you can actually be successful and happy um, yeah. and achieve what you want to achieve. But it shouldn't be this hard. No, Well, I'm thinking of not just school, but I'm thinking of college where one has to do assignments and write essays and go through reading lists like how did you deal with all yeah. of that well first time i did my first degree was actually in performing arts and i moved over to london at the age of 18 having had like being very naive and being quite scaffolded um, and i didn't even realize that there was we were meant to have read text my support funding didn't come because even though it does transfer from ireland to the uk there's a massive delay because of the bureaucracy component of it so i literally um, met a lovely lady in the 99p store who ended up reading and writing and fighting for me before I could um, get any access to proper formal support in the university. So I was just really lucky um, that I had that I had those connections. Um, but equally, like I hate to think, had I not gone to the 99p store that day to meet, you know, and bumped into that lady, I wouldn't be where I am today potentially. Of all places. <laughs> yeah, an Irish, an Irish, lovely Irish girl who's now living in Cork, actually, um, and who's an education psychologist now. But it's just funny how life kind of goes in a cyclical way. But even, even trying to get a job, in, like just like a job in a shop, I couldn't open a bank account in, when I was over there because I couldn't fill in the forms. And even though I get the forms and bring them home in advance, they gave me the wrong form. And then I'm back being handed a new form in the bank. You know, and then my my company I'm working for say, if you don't get a bank account, we're going to have to let you go because we can't pay you. Do you know what I mean? It's you kind of don't you take these things for granted every day. A lot of people do the read write bit. Um, That's a good point, uh, Hannah. Is the the world is built and designed for people who can read write and sense things the same as the rest of us. We we, we're kind of built in in a neurotypical world, are we not? Yeah. 
I think it is. And this is where, and this is what I want to try and break down some of these barriers and kind of say, let neurotypical people be at the table too. Let, let us value everybody. So I use the analogy of a shape sorter that maybe most people who are neurotypical might be um, circles. Um, and I'm a triangle and do could be other shapes. If you're forcing someone who's neurodiverse into a shape like a circle, you either leave them out because they don't fit in or you shove them enough that when they get in, they're broken and then they have mental health issues or low self-esteem or, you know, because it, it has a massive impact trying to adapt yourself to fit in to the normal ways. And we all need, I love rules more than anyone. <laughs> you know, rules are great, but we need rules that are fair um, and we need space for everyone. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, in it, and we have moved on an awful lot since I was a little girl in school. Like I, I had experienced horrendous bullying um, and I went to five different schools chasing an education. And there's still kids out there that are chasing an education. They haven't quite found the right um, accommodations or the right environment, but it shouldn't be that hard. And I suppose now at least I have the reason I went back and did a master's in occupational therapy and a postgrad in sensory integration was to really understand the science behind it because my I I believe the lived experience is really important, but so is the science behind it and the research and the evidence. And using them together is really powerful. How many degrees do you actually have now? About money. I have a degree in performing arts, I have an MSc in occupational therapy and I have a postgrad cert in um, sensory integration. So I guess I went to university three times <laughs> for my troubles. Yeah. Um, yeah. And each time I went, I still had to have the same fights trying yeah, to get reasonable accommodation. You had to start with the basics every time because no matter yeah. how many degrees you, you pile on, you still can't read. Yeah. Well, I still can't read, but also the system doesn't believe me when I say, okay, this is how I work best with readers and scribes. They say, ah, oh, technology is fantastic. Here you go. And it's not from lack of wanting to read. I went to a special reading school. I went to like a specialist neuropsychologist. I've done all the things that are meant to, in a brackets, fix or, you know, cure this dyslexia. It's not, it's just for some people, it just isn't. And it's not because I have a low IQ. I, you know, it's not any of these misconceptions. It's just because my brain is programmed differently and this is how it is. And I've stopped fighting that and I've stopped being angry about it. And I've moved to a place where I know what I need to to be successful. Mm-hmm. And there's so many other people out there like me who, and there's some people, you know, maybe mild dyslexia or other things and they do the programs and it works and then, you know, or they use glasses and it's fantastic. But there's also people like me that it doesn't work for. Yeah. And I that's ask, okay. Can I ask a personal question, Hannah? And I don't wish to be intrusive here now, but this is to kind of get a reflection for a listener who doesn't quite get it and for myself who doesn't quite get it. So I'm surrounded here by scripts, newspaper articles, things that need to be read. If I hand you a basic newspaper article, what do you see when you open your eyes? I would probably look and see if there's any pictures to tell me what it's about. I might look to see what, you know, if there's symbols. So like, you know, like let's say Marks and Spencer's. I know an M&S. I'm looking for M&S. So I'm deep, I'm trying to guess. I'm. It's like if, there, if I handed you something that was like a foreign language and said there, what's that mean? You're That's probably to a very good analogy. The words are there, but they don't yeah. mean anything to you. They don't mean anything, but also it makes me feel sick. The words kind of move. So I've got like like visual, like very strong visual system. So 
if the environment is too busy, it makes me feel like I'm getting motion sickness. I see. So it's kind of a double assault. Um, and then like, so, but I learn things off. So some, like I had a, say <laughs> it's a joke. My, I had a boyfriend when I was in uh, secondary school and he used to help me with like, uh, my parents probably should have been paying him grind, like lessons for grinds. He basically would decode things for me. And once I had it, I had it. But that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, reading. So likewise, if I'm doing assessments, I know all the forms, I know where all the bits are. I'm not reading, I just memorizing, I just yeah. know where everything is. Do you have a spectacular memory? There, oh, amazing memory. Hence why I wrote the book. People are like, how do you remember how you felt and what what was the smells and what were the, you know, the cost of a can of Coke? And it's like, oh, because I just remember everything. Yeah. Um, and that's great too, but like, it's, but I've had to learn how to do that. Yes. Um, and it's very tiring. So that's why when I go to bed at night, I can't just shut my brain off. Like some people just go straight to sleep. My brain's processing. My brain's literally like taking the footage from the day and storing it and decoding it. Um, but the reading component, no, it's like if I go into a restaurant and I need to, I want, I know I like chicken. So I look for something with the word C and then I say, will you read this to me? Um, so, so many people have had to read for me in my life. Um, even just simple things like the post office. If I say, can you write this for me? Can you, can you do this with me? Um, or I print things out in advance and sellotape them on. But absolutely, like the, the written text is not accessible. You go into the hospital and there's a sign saying take a, a ticket. But if I don't see other people taking a ticket, I'm sitting down there waiting. And you once said, oh, did you not see the sign? Oh, do you know what I mean? It's okay. Yeah. So this happens to me all the time. Or like I have to ask, you know, like what's that say? If something unexpected happens or if you change a system. So I had a hospital appointment, another one. And I always look for the top, which is the date and the time and the address, whatever. So I know, okay, 5th of March at 6.30. I know I'm expecting the appointment because the GP made a referral. I don't read all that letter and I take it out near my appointment time. My husband said, Hannah, you're meant to have um, phoned or they'll cancel your appointment if they don't hear from you in 10 days if you haven't confirmed. So I, you know what I mean? This stuff happens, people like me all the time and English mightn't be someone's first language and it can have an impact on them too. Um, do you know? I, I like the analogy. Um, it's, it's a strong with the foreign language. With the foreign language. <laughs> yeah, that that, that makes. We'll, we'll stick with that. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes a great. Like another thing that you have to do in your in your work uh, as a pediatric occupational therapist is you have to read and possibly contribute to professional journals. Same thing, same process. Yeah, slightly different. So I get people to read the works for me. So I'm really lucky. I use admin support. So, and this is an interesting thing. So in the UK, you have a thing called access to work, which basically means that you get funding outside. It's a form of a benefit that someone can pay for supports so that doesn't come from your employee. So when I graduated as an, o- as an OT, I had eight hours of admin support a week for my full-time 39-hour week role. And enabled me to do my my job any reports any handwritten referrals um notes all of those things that i'm obliged to do is done that way yeah. but when in in ireland we don't have that exact same system but if i was on disability allowance i would be on maybe a ten thousand euro a year it would cost plus maybe I, you know my kids trajectory wouldn't be as good maybe because i wouldn't be able to you know it, it would have a knock-on effect I, I might need a medical card but if i if the government would pay 3,000 euro or even 5,000 euro towards an admin support person, that means that that person's then earning too. And I'm earning a much higher income and a much better trajectory, you know, and I'm paying taxes on that. So I think we need to, I would love for us in Ireland to adapt a more inclusive um, way of working. Because like a lot of, I also, I am a paediatric OT, but I also work a lot with adults who are neurodiverse, especially around trying to get them into employment and support. Yeah. 
independence. And that is something that has a knock-on effect. But yeah. I have a friend who has a disability <laughs> and she, she often compares it this way. She said, PJ, she said, it's a lot easier for you to live in a world built for me than for me to live in a world built for you. Is that a good principle? Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's a thing called universal design, not to get into jargon, yeah. but it's the same kind of concept. If we remove all the barriers, then we're not asking someone in a wheelchair to go over a, a wall and we're not asking someone, you know, to it, maybe who can walk to like go a big long ramp that takes ages. We are just removing the barriers. So I think a world that's more inclusive, full stop, where we value you everyone is yeah. the way to go design things um, for people who might not be able to use them in a standard way the book the book is like a series of stories of how you've overcome certain hurdles why why did you want to write it um, I was kept being asked when I write a book. I kept being asked when I tell my stories. And I think the impact of the book is seeing everyday thing. It's like a case study. It goes from early childhood up. And it shows how, a dis- how the disability, the age, the roles or the things a child is doing at that stage impacts um, when society or systems um, allow it to, you know, a person to thrive or stop a person from entering the system. And I thought it was a really clear statement. I'm not trying to lecture, and I know I'm probably lecturing now on, on the radio, but That's in the really book, not. I don't lecture. I just, okay, in the book, I don't lecture. I just say it as it is, and I illustrate, you know, a real, I'm a real person, and these are the real things that happen, and these are the times when people came and connection was made. Mm. And when people make connections, that's when I succeeded and that's when things, you know, were brilliant. Um, and I think we're losing that in society today. But also it just shows that there is other ways of making life easier for people like me. And it's sad and it's funny and it's clear and it's simple. And I also made an audio book, um, which is, so it was, I wouldn't write a book that I couldn't access. So you asked me, I like, I love to listen to audiobooks. So yeah. I can also do that independently. I can get information via audiobooks. Um, but the written book, I made it dyslexic friendly, the font, the size, the way it's done. You can do little bite-sized pieces. Um, and I've been really lucky that the Irish bookshops have jumped on it. And actually I'm down in Cork and Waterstones next Wednesday, um, the 12th at 6.30. They'll be, mm. I'll be doing a free talk and a book signing. Um, so like if anybody's about, it'd be lovely for you to come yeah. um, but that's the reason I wrote the book is because I want I think there's a need there and so far the feedback has been fantastic um, some of the SNA uh, courses have put it on a re- reading list even because that is it's a valuable valuable um, experience and I think what's really important is I'm solution focused I don't know if that came across in the book but it's trying to constantly find solutions yeah. and I don't think that I should have fought and struggled as hard as I did like that has had a massive impact on me and I want to use that in a really positive way to help others. I'm yeah. also a mum, I have four kids, you know. You could be a remarkable teaching person in that you've come through this and got to the point you're at. You, I think, would make a fantastic advisor to maybe the educational system as to how it can adapt. Do you ever think you're going down that road? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Um, no, but it is something. And, there, you know, I, I am very much keen to, you know, and, and having conversations with policymakers, um, both around the education and employment, though. Let's like let's look both sides of the, the, you know, you get them through education and then what? Do you know what I mean? People want, as you said, you need to read 
uh, to work and, and earn and have a sense of belonging and a sense of self-esteem. Because a lot of times, by the time you get through the education system, your confidence is, 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 is knocked out of you because it doesn't, to get to the end, you've had to go through a lot of hurdles, as the book demonstrates. Um, but equally, a lot of people reject the education system because of, because of that. Because because they don't fit in, they go, actually, I'm not going to play the game. Why would I? So there's pros and cons to both. I decided to go through the education system. And, you know, I've worked in this field for many years in order to try and make change and bring change that, that I think there is scope there massively. And it's not going to cost an arm and a leg. And it's not going to, this is a, a myth that the person with the disability might get an advantage over the non-disabled peers. That's not correct. That's not what anyone's trying to do. What we're just trying to do is, as you said, level the playing field for everyone and maybe remove barriers full stop so there's no special you know things needing to be made if it was a more accessible um system yeah. but no the book i think has its place it's there this is a funny thing so i wouldn't believe this but unless you write something down it generally does things don't change which is funny because i'm as i said i'm not someone who writes things down but the fact i've written a book and it's out there and it's getting massive you know the feedback is thank you for doing this for us um you know, I really identified with you in some ways because like, you know, you were getting your brand, wrote your stores or whatever at the same time, but then you weren't experiencing all the other struggles. So it's, 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 a, yeah, it is what it is and it's out there now. So Kevin, um, Kevin says yeah. he's blown away by your creativity in finding solutions <laughs> to everyday problems, which, yeah, that's, that's one way of, of looking at it. The book, the book is called Knowing No Boundaries, uh, Hannah daily. Good luck with it. Uh, say hello to my friend John Breen when you're in Waterstones next week and uh, thank you for being with me on the Opinion Line. Hannah Daly, the author of a book called Knowing No Boundaries. You know, it should probably be on all of our shelves just to help us to understand how people who sense and pick things up differently, how they get on in the world. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. I seem to have stirred up a little bit of a hornet's nest with my comment about St. Patrick's Day that I just don't like it being like an ordinary day. I think it's a day when as many people that can be off should be off, as many premises that can close should close. It is our national holiday. Our national holiday. And I, I'll come back to it in a second. 0818 96 96 96 and the idea that Good Friday should be a holiday strangely enough isn't going down all that well. Um... 0818 96 96 96. Here's a story that surprised me. Uh, there was a 100% plus increase in the number of notified cases of HIV over the past 12 months. In fact, according to the Irish Independent, there's been an explosion of sexually transmitted diseases in the wake of the COVID-19 lockdowns. Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent joins me. Ralph, what what were people doing then to, to cause all this to happen? Good morning. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question, uh, PJ, which I, I don't think I can answer, but, but certainly the statistics are quite interesting. I mean, I think everyone would have expected that during COVID, the number of these sexually transmitted diseases would have declined. I think on average it was by about 33%. So the main five um, disease, notifiable diseases, you're talking about chlamydia, 
gonorrhea, herpes, HIV and syphilis. And all of them went down during the first 18 months, two years of the, the pandemic. And it, it, it's probably logical because you, any type of human interaction in terms of nightclubs, bars, socialising events, all of those were effectively shut down. But I suppose the one thing that doctors were, were concerned about or noted was that alcohol consumption had actually risen. There was a lot of people drinking at home. There were these restricted house parties or whatever. But the latest statistics certainly underline the scale of the difficulty. So, for instance, if you take HIV, there were 400 cases of HIV in 2021. That's rocketed to 889 by la- uh, last year. So that's an increase of 122%. Uh, chlamydia has gone from 7,215 up to almost 11,000. Uh, gonorrhea has gone from 2,098 last year up to 4,075. And some people might say, well, look, they're just getting back to their normal levels. In actual fact, they're not, because if you take all five um, totals for those five um, diseases last year, yeah. all of them are higher than for the comparable totals for 2018. So they've actually gone to a level higher than at pre-pandemic levels. Could it be, Ralph, that before lockdown, before we were all locked away in our own homes for weeks and months, on end, that this was brewing in the community? And then after lockdown, people started to go to the doctor because they got strange symptoms. Yeah, it's possible, PJ. I mean, I think that there's going to be a lot of study conducted on this area to see what's going on. I mean, certainly it's disappointing because there's been so much money invested um, in terms of public health campaigns, you know, to urge people to be careful of their sexual health, to, to you know, to take precautions and, and whatever events to protect themselves and to protect others. And um, most especially because, I mean, some of these illnesses, like, they're not things that you would dismiss lightly. They can cause serious health complications, even when they're caught in, say, their secondary stages or whatever. I mean, a, par- a number of years ago, apparently, there was a tertiary case of syphilis treated. And I mean, you're talking about someone there that even if they're able to stop the illness, they're talking about serious and chronic long-term health uh, that's consequences. That's stage four syphilis. Like, that's the most, that's, that could kill you. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly back in the medieval times, like that was a death sentence. I mean, it was one of the most feared diseases that you could have. No, I mean, modern treat medicines and antibiotics and whatever have certainly revolutionized the way these illnesses are treated. But they're very serious things. They're not things to be dismissed lightly. And I suppose the fact that given the amount of money that's been invested in public awareness campaigns and to see yeah. this level of increase in the diseases, the disease numbers, it is quite disappointing. Yeah, because they did. They spent an awful lot of money on on warning people to get themselves checked, and particularly, and we know that I mean HIV, the amount of HIV in in, in Cork, the number of people who've got it totally under control, undetectable, therefore untransmissible, was at an yeah. all time high pre COVID. Is that all changed now? Well, I mean, certainly if you look at the numbers, I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, you're talking 889 cases last year of HIV. That is a 122% increase on 2021. Mm. But even if you go back to the pre-COVID era, I mean, back to 2018, there were 522 cases of HIV back then. So you're talking roughly about a 50% plus increase in the space of just four years or five years. So I know an awful lot of the public health doctors are going to be looking at the figures very, very closely going forward to see is this related to people maybe going mad after the you know the COVID lockdowns and restrictions were lifted or is this part of a longer term trend that's going to have very serious consequences I think for public health going forward. All right, Ralph, the story is in the independent. Huge, Ralph Regal there. The number of 
sexually transmitted diseases have shot up in the wake of of lockdowns. It's, look, you could be very flippant about it and you can say, well, clearly people were at it like rabbits once they were let out again. But it can't be as simple as that, can it? It can't. Can it? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696 of syphilis. Look, that's just me being me. <laughs> Al Capone, we heard, died of syphilis. Hitler is reputed to have died of syphilis. Schubert, he was the composer that my wife's music teacher was talking about. Christopher Columbus is believed to have died of syphilis. Bram Stoker, the man behind Dracula, also believed to have died of syphilis and the man who gave his name to Tourette's syndrome also believed to have died uh, yeah Hitler shot himself but it's believed he did have syphilis yes yes let, never let the facts get in the way of it. no but seriously <laughs> I just looked it up I'm in that kind of a form this morning the idea that you'd have Good Friday as a holiday um, there's foreign again it, according to most people. Bernie says, hold on a second. We've too many holidays already. We've more bank holidays, four-day working weeks, working from home. We might as well shut the country down. They'll all be wondering why there are no shops left. Four-day working weeks, Bernie, are the way forward. I'd take one up tomorrow if I could. It doesn't mean you're not you're working less. You're just working less days, maybe longer hours in the day. Working from home, I do half my day at home. I had the option of not doing it after after COVID was done, but I kept it. I I do half at least half my day is done at home. I don't think it changes the quality of my work in any way. We've more bank holidays. We've won more than we used to have. Nine we used to have. We now have ten. Many of our friends across Europe have twelve, eleven, ten, thirteen. Um, from the UK comes a message. UK have three in May this year. Three. I know they have one at the start and at the end, but oh, they have another one, I think, from the coronation. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, this texture says they won't be hit me there. They're coming home for that weekend. Good Friday should be a public holiday. It's a holy day. It is a holy day, but I don't ever remember it being a holy day of obligation, I think. Anyway, regardless, um, we used to have 11 or 12 in the 80s. I don't know if this is right or wrong. We used to have 11 or 12 of them in the 80s, and it was reduced to introduce a week's break at Easter, down to nine. Then we got the St. Bridget's Bank holiday, putting it back up to 10. I don't ever remember that. Maybe I'm right. Maybe that's right. Maybe it's wrong. If you work a bank holiday, what should you be paid? That's a matter for yourself and your employer and whatever working arrangement you have. There are some statutory entitlements to you for working a bank holiday. Generally, you're entitled to another day off in lieu of it anyway. Or you get double pay. That's my basic 
understanding. It drives me mad. Emma says, it drives me mad on Good Friday. I have to go to work and my husband is off. I'm turning, he's turning over to go back to sleep and I'm dragging myself out at the stupid clock to go to work. See? 0818 96 96 96. Paul heard what I was saying about St. Patrick's Day and I was. I, I just thought it was a bit too busy looking for St. Patrick's Day. There was no need for those massive supermarkets to be open on our national holiday. Ah, Jesus, PJ, St. Patrick's Day. Is it just gone and like another day of the week? Would you like us all to go back to 50 years ago where the priests wouldn't leave and let anybody open or do anything on a Sunday? This is 2023. People still have to make money. I get all that, Paul. I do. I get all that. No, but it's still a national holiday. I think we should recognise it as such. I'll come back to it. 0818 96 96 96. The age of the typical house buyer in Ireland is now between 35 and 40. The median is 37. It's just a form of average. The median is 37. Um, And the highest in the country is Kerry, where it's 40. I don't have a specific figure for, for Cork. Most people's loans in 2021 were in or around 220,000. That was in 2021. I imagine it's considerably more now. And of course, that was before the interest rates started to go up. The average price for a house bought with a mortgage in 2021 was 309,000. When I look back to buying my first house when I was 27, it cost me the equivalent of 48,000 euros. So times have changed rather a lot. I used those figures as the introduction to a new book written by Kieran Mulqueen. It's called How to Buy a Home in Ireland. And it's it's based, Kieran, very much on your own experience, which you turned into a podcast and turned into a social media platform. And now you've turned into a book. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. You started trying to buy your own home in 2019. And that's what led to this book coming out in 2023. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild ride. We kind of... I started the page as a bit of a joke initially and it got pretty popular. So I was like, okay, I need to try and make this a bit more productive and a bit more helpful rather than just moaning or joking about the housing market. So just sharing some, some insights as we went along, as I learned and as I spoke to more and more people had more and more conversations. So that's where the page grew from. I had a really good community and I decided to just kind of try and put all of the years and the thousands of conversations into one place that was easy for people to refer back to no matter what point they were in their home buying journey and basically just make it really helpful and it was the I just decided to put it all into the book and it was the book I wish was around when I was trying to buy my own home so um I'm glad it's there now and it's helping a lot of people crazy house prices of course was the social media platform you're talking about yeah. and the book is written in a very easy, accessible manner. It's very easy to get into the point and to get the point of what you're writing, which which is which is good work. What you said that wasn't around, those instructions weren't there. So when you went to buy your own house, what hurdles did you have to jump? Well, I think everybody like I'm in Dublin, but I think everybody in Cork will probably agree with me. It's it's as bad down there as it is up here. The issues were just a complete lack of supply, too many people trying to buy each each home so we were kind of getting to the point where we were just going to give up and then we decided to 
try and go off market. So skip the, the kind of estate agents and the bidding wars altogether and go privately. So I have a whole chapter on that in the book. It's called The Trick. It's the first chapter in the book. And it's about how we wrote letters, put them indoors, tried to get to people who were kind of just thinking about selling their home, but not really at the point of going to see an estate agent yet. And uh, and that's what worked for us. It's a, a myth you bust, actually, like you said, in the very first chapter of the book. And it's a myth, mm. I think, and it is a myth worth busting. You don't need all these people if you can find someone to cut a deal with. Well, I think technology as well is very good at cutting out the middleman. You know, you can buy directly from farms. You can, there's so many things that technology disrupts, but this isn't even really technology. It's just a letter in a door. It's, I, I think because it's such a seller's market at the moment, it's very easy if somebody does want to try and sell, sell a home or their home, um, they can you can advertise it yourself on the platforms on Daft and My Home. You just pay a small fee. Uh, it's I guess estate agents will always have a role to play, but you know for some people it's it's worth it to save the, the kind of one point five two percent fees or whatever and the hassle of viewings and photographs and all that stuff. So yeah. it worked really well for us, and it's worked well for other people since. So it's a uh, it's an option. Yeah, the the legal side of it is difficult too. You you go into that like all you need really is mm. what we used to call or what they they call in other parts of the world a conveyancer. If you can find one of those yeah. people, you're sorted. Yeah, a conveyance and solicitor. So you need one of those anyway, regardless whether you're going the traditional route or whether you're buying off off market. The, the estate agents kind of get you to the point of being sale agreed, and the rest is all legal. So. Um, just getting a good solicitor is very, very important. I have a whole chapter. Chapter five is all about choosing a solicitor, questions to ask and, you know, making sure that it's, you've got a good kind of, uh, they're referred from somebody you know that has actually used them. And um, a, like, I mean, a good solicitor can make or break the sales. So I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Do you think that since, I mean, you bought in, in 2019, do you think it's gotten harder still? Yeah, well, we actually bought in 2020, towards the end of 2021, September 21, okay. and we moved in in September 22. Um, yeah, it's getting worse and worse. And I think uh, as tough it, as it is for people to buy a home, it's the rental side is even more disastrous. Yes. And I'd imagine if anybody down there in Cork even just tries to put into Daft how many rentals there are, there are very, very few, but then put put that into Airbnb and you'll probably get 10 times the amount. So it's it's a lack of supply kind of across both sectors that's just making things worse and prices going up and up. Yeah, think it's going to get any better anytime soon? Well, according to the reports, the, the Daft report and the My Home report recently are showing that prices are coming down, asking prices, but asking prices are a... A, a good snapshot into the real-time market, whereas your CSO figures that come out every couple of months are more a snapshot as to what the market was like 12 months ago. So it's an interesting one. I think prices will probably come down a small amount, but it, unfortunately, it's not because of good government policy or because of an increase in supply. It's because people's spending power is being reduced by rising interest rates. So yeah. that's not really good for anyone. Yeah. Something that was around very much when I bought my first house in the nineties, I bought my second house in two thousand and four, and I'll be I'll be dragged out of it in a box rather than go through all that <laughs> crack again. But there was a, there was the the ghost bids were going around at the time. 
you know, you're looking at a yeah. house at a, a certain price, we'll say 240,000. You're looking at a house, 240,000, and you say, you know what, I think we can go to that, give you 240,000 for that. No one's looked at this place in six months, and then there's a phone call. Uh, we've just had a bit of 245. You have in your granny, but I can't prove it. <laughs> it, it it happens. It does happen. Estate agents will tell you that it doesn't. Um, it definitely happens, but I don't know if it happens as often as we'd like to think because it's it's a very emotional process, you know, and you can get attached. And when you hear another bid coming in, you're like, no, this is mine. So it, it definitely happens. Um, and I would say to people, if they do suspect that there are fake bids, that they can report that agent to the PSRA and... Um, they all agents need to legally keep a bidding log um, of each property they're putting up for sale. Now, yeah. as far as I know, I don't think any agent has ever lost their license for fake bids, even despite the fact that they do happen and people have been reported. But uh, it's definitely you can request a bidding log as well. And, and I, I would advise people to do that if they do feel there are fake bids there. Okay, all right. And that, that is a change because I remember back in the early days when I was buying, you couldn't, you just had to take it as, as read, but now that has changed. Kieran Mulqueen is the man's name. The book is called How to Buy a Home in Ireland. It's published by Hachette and it's on paperback and ebook. Thank you, Kieran. Good luck with the book and continued success with so and with, with the new house as well. 0818 96 96 96. We'll probably, Pat says, we'll probably get another bank holiday soon. The 12th of July to pacify the unionists. <laughs> yeah, maybe, Pat. What about supermarket workers? They never get a chance. Why not have shops close Easter Sunday, Patrick's Day, at least? Whatever about Good Friday. Yeah, we're getting to the point, Kate, now where you, you, that soon will be open on Christmas Day. And I, I agree with you. What about supermarket workers? Yes, a lot of them don't observe Patrick's Day. They don't observe Christmas, they might want to work, but I, I, and Paul is annoyed at me. He thinks I'm going to go back to the fifties and sixties when the pubs had to close on Patrick's Day. Oh yes, they did. Yes, they did. No, I don't want to go back there, but I don't like the idea that eventually it's going to be just come another normal retail day, either. And the idea that the Labour Party have in Cork with regard to Good Friday, suggesting that it be made a public holiday. Now, just because it's a public holiday doesn't mean you have to observe it. But, you know, 0818 96 96 96. Uh, Bernie, we've too many of them already. We have more bank holidays. Oh, yeah, I read that one. And Kate on the supermarket workers. Here's one in. Um, the motor tax office you and driver's license used to be out by Liebert. Now they've moved the driving license section to Copley Street, which is very inconvenient. Why was it removed to a place where you can do no other business and there is no parking? Surely the building building costs more. I think the tax office is still, isn't it? That tax office is still out on Muddle Farm Road. So long now since I was out there because you just do it all online. But the driver's license office is down in the, and I did that online as well I had to renew my license late last year I did that online too uh, oh right Kieran says there are no there were no bidding wars years ago it wasn't allowed state agents and solicitors are milking it now well Kieran, I would beg to differ when I was buying my house 
that I currently live in in 2004. It wasn't our first choice. Our first choice was elsewhere in the estate where we now live. And we went down and we viewed it and it was a lovely house and there was a price on the door or on the tag and I walked the house with the queen bee and we said, yeah, that'd be lovely. And we changed that. We'd pull that kitchen out and we'd need to build that and whatever. And we had kind of said, right, if we did it a little bit above budget to do this, that and the other. And we said, yeah, OK, uh, we'll take it. I think the asking price or something, I don't know what it was, it was 267 or some figure like that, 267. And said it to the um, estate agent on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock, went and told the family, I think we found our house, they were very happy with our house, all of that, only to get a call at one o'clock Saturday to be told that there'd been a new bid in of uh, an additional 10 grand. And I thought, no, not on me granny. Did that happen overnight since last night, Friday? So we walked away from it because we'd spotted it. And we said, no, I'd stick the house where the sun don't shine. I'd spotted another one elsewhere in the estate, which had been unoccupied for quite some time. And the estate agent jumped on our bid and we took it. And that's where we live now. So I know it happened. It did happen. I, I no more believed that was a genuine bid than I believed that... Patrick's Day came after Christmas Day, the day after. So, no. Thank you, Kieran. I bought my house when I was 23. How are young people to get into the market now? They can't move out of their parents' homes. There's no accommodation for single people also to move out on their own. It's all aimed at couples who are buying. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Whatever about buying houses, we have a huge crisis and shortage of the number of places to rent, and prices are gone through the roof. As, as they say. And yesterday I was talking to Nicholas, the landlord, um, holds quite a number of properties himself and his family. He was explaining to me why so many landlords are getting out of it now. Because for the small landlord in particular, with maybe two or three properties, it's it's barely cost efficient for them. And he was just explaining that if he was a smaller landlord and could get out of it, he probably would. And we just wanted to have a chat with him about being a landlord. Joanna Murphy uh, uh, has Joanna Murphy and Sons Estate Agents in, in Cove. And and you wanted to, to talk about the, the rental sector and the, and the crisis in it, Joanna. In your day-to-day work, what kind of things are you seeing? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, well, I suppose, like, definitely the small-type landlord is exiting the market. But there's a couple of reasons. A lot of them would have purchased in the boom time, back in 2006, and would have got badly burnt, and they are realising the value of their property today and can sell. So that's what they're doing. Then you have, obviously, as you just mentioned there, you know, if, if a small-time landlord does have a couple of properties, maybe be it one or two, it doesn't make financial sense for them at the moment. So maybe to introduce a tax incentive. Like, if you remember back, there was a Section 23 properties. I do. Yeah, and I think that went down really, really well. So I think if they put in something, um, obviously a tax incentive that would lure or keep 
the private landlord in the market. This is a win-win for both the tenant and the landlord because the tenant does need a home. Nicholas was saying to me yesterday that if I'm paying him a thousand euro in rent per month for for property, he's just about making five hundred out of that. Which, if he has a mortgage on the property, that's not that's not covering it, Joanna. No, it's not. So, like, if someone's getting in a thousand euros a month, and let's say they have a mortgage repayment of I don't know, could be let's say it's four or five hundred. I don't know what it is, right? And. 52% of that will obviously go towards tax. And then you have your local property tax, you have your RTB, you have repairs to the property. You know, it doesn't make financial sense, really. Mm. Just with the lifting of the eviction ban, are, are you coming across in your own and your own patch down there in Cove, are you coming across a lot of people being served with eviction notices? I don't really deal with the rental sector too much, to be honest, PJ. Mm. But I would assume, I would assume they are. Of course they are, you know. And it's just, it's, look, and it's, you know, it's a really, you know, something I don't really want to touch on because I think it's just so horrible yeah. that it's really, people are very upset. Everybody's upset, yeah. okay. So, and it's just an off position to be in. But as I said, probably the, the, the quick fix, well, not the quick fix, because there's no quick fix, but I suppose if there's more social housing built, number yes. one, Yes. We need more houses, that's it. We need more social housing. You have the private developers building houses at the moment, which is great. And then, as I said, if you bring in a tax incentive for the private landlord to come back into the to the market, and there's a mix there, because you need a mix, yeah. well, then it can be sorted, it, not sorted straight away, because it's not going to happen straight away. But as I, as I said to you there previously, a couple of times when I've been on the radio, if someone's purchasing a property, it takes three to four months for the sale to close. And there is some really good properties for investors to purchase and rent out and rent them out for a good, you know, to get a good rental income to come in. And they could buy that property in three months and a tenant could be housed in three months. Yes, or people can, can buy. Is there much to be bought then in yeah. Yeah, that area? Yeah, so as I said to you before as well, I think when you're purchasing a property, you must think outside the box. And this comes to the first-time buyer and to anybody, right? But, you know, the way we all want the Instagram house, we all want the perfect house. But as I always say, your first house is not your forever home generally. Mm-hmm. It's a house that you purchase and you might hang on to for about, I don't know, five years. The most important thing for somebody purchasing a property is to be on a public transport route. Yeah. You know, that if you are 25 minutes, and I speak about Cove, I speak about Middleton, I speak about North Cork, you know, I mean, even yesterday... I was delighted to, to hear the plans from Erin Rodair with the sustainability programme rollout. Like, the train is massive. Buses are enormously important. So if you're near, um, if you're on a bus route, you can get to schools, you can get to, 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 to Cork City, to work, etc. It makes so much sense. I know that you can purchase a property, I'm going to say Co, for example. I could sell you a house down here for 230000 I could sell you an apartment for 190000 Mm-hmm. And how close would they be to a bus or train? Well, the train is normally 10 minutes, 15 walk to the train station or yeah. the bus stop is outside the estate. Yeah. 25 minutes to Cork City. Yeah, that's very, that's very good. That, that's very, And is there a lot of stuff out there, Joanna? Yeah, like definitely. I've seen it like back to work in January. I've had a really busy couple of months and I would have, you know, a lot of first time buyers looking and a lot of people downsizing as well. And definitely, any house that would come on the market now for under 250000 it's only there for a week or two. That's it. There are peak seasons as well, aren't there? Yeah. So, obviously, you'll find now we're coming into Easter. 
hopefully, hopefully the weather's going to get a bit better, right? And people can start power washing outside their house and getting the garden looking nice. You'll find that you'll have possibly the bigger houses coming on, you know, on the market after Easter, where they look gorgeous. And but look, it can be three bedroom semis, it can be terrace houses, it doesn't matter. There'll be an influx of houses now coming on the market after Easter because they want to be in their house for the summer. Yeah. And vice versa. And also, you'll find always a very busy time for auctioneers in September, where a lot of properties come on the market in September so they can be in their house for Christmas. I see. I see. Yeah. So, and it's only over the years that I've seen that. Um, and someone said to me, you know, is the best time to put your house in the market for the summer? Yes and no. June, yeah, but not towards the end of July, early August, no. Because the whole thing takes time. People are on holidays, yeah. you know, people generally go on holidays the last two weeks of July, first two weeks of August. Yes, so- sounds to me like if one is selling or buying, that one should come and talk to someone like yourself and get the right time. If I have a, if I have a, a property and I'm looking to sell it, you'll tell me when I should and when I shouldn't. Yeah, exactly, and I'll also give you, like, I kind of did a few tips even on my Instagram post that, the other way you go into a house, and you go into it, and it's going to be your home. And you walk in, and the house is lovely and warm. Don't you feel comfortable? And you want to sit down and feel that you could, mm. I don't know, sit down and have a cup of coffee, right? But if you go into a house and it's cold, you kind of, I don't know, you're not getting the vibe, you're not getting the feeling. Yes. So it's really important that the heat, especially in the winter time, that the heat. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Thing is on. The fire, even the stove lighting. Would you bake bread? No, I'd put on the coffee machine and have a smell of coffee. It'd be lovely. Um, But you know what I mean? It's trying to create that atmosphere Mm -hmm. when you you walk into a a house because it's going to be your home. And look, to be fair, you know, people generally do that. They're brilliant. And they do, and people do reach out for advice because people who who are in the industry know the tricks of the trade. Yeah, yeah. Come, just one last thing before I let you go, Joanne. I appreciate this. Um, I recall my experience in, in the early noughties of finding myself up against a ghost bidder. Does that happen anymore? I don't. No, not, in my, not, not with me anyway. No. Yeah. And I don't think... No, absolutely not. And do you know why? 
is because when a bid comes in, it has to have proof of funding. And every single bid that I have coming in comes in by email. So yeah. there is a thread. Because that is so important. Yeah, that wasn't bidding, the case, you see, up to a number of years ago. Because everything is very much regulated now. Yeah. Everything is so regulated, which is a really, really good thing. So in other words, I can't ring you up. You, you if, if, if I'm trying to buy a house off through you and you say that's 205,000 and I say good I'm happy with that and you might ring me tomorrow and say look I've a bid in for 210 you need to be able to prove that well not to you but what I so if you ring me up and say Joanna I'm going to put, give, give you an offer 205,000 fine PJ email me in the offer with your proof of funding please right now I will go to the owner and say fine we have an offer of 205,000 the owner will say well no look I want you to continue doing viewing but see can we get more right which is fair enough so therefore if somebody else goes to view the property and I get an offer of 208 that person has to send me in the offer by email with the proof of funding and then I will ring you and tell you I have an offer of 208 a confirmed one but you just have to have the faith and you just have to have the faith in the industry but the industry are are regulated and to be fair I mean, I, I don't hear of ghost bidding. I don't hear of it. Okay, so, well, that's good to hear. That's good yeah. to hear, because I know that when I was trying to buy in 2004, it certainly was around. I'm glad to see things are better now. Thank you, Joanna. Joanna Murphy of Joanna Murphy & Sons Estate Agents in Cove. Get an estate agent who'll talk you through. And I like that idea. You know, be careful when you're selling. Sell at the right time of the year. I wouldn't have known that. And I, the Instagram ready house, you're not going to buy an Instagram ready house. Stop looking for an Instagram ready house. Buy your own place and make your own Instagram out of it. Again, I'm only going on my own experience, but we we got that. Our first house, as I said, was 46, 48,000 euro, the equivalent. We bought it in pounds back then. 48,000 euro. <laughs> for the first five years of our mortgage, we were on 11.75%. And that was a fixed rate deal for five years. The going rate for mortgages when I bought my first house was something like 14.2%. 14, not four, 14.2%. And we got a five-year deal for 11.75. So you can imagine pretty much every cent we had was going into the bloody mortgage. So you end up with second-hand table and chairs, second-hand couch for, for a long time. We had a couch and a telly in the front room and a coffee table and very little else until we got the money together to put down floors. That's how we did it back then. Um, and maybe people need to go back to that a little. Thank you, Joanna. 0818 96 96 96. Aldi and Lidl are both closed on Easter Sunday. Good to see. Good to see. Um, and on the thing about Patrick's Day and other such occasions, Shiona was on. Morning PJ, I think they should be closed. It's respectful and it's traditional to close on those big days. We're losing our traditions now. A lot of the big supermarkets are open now just out of pure greed. And they have people in on St. Stephen's Day. Yeah, I've often wondered why there is ap- there is no need that ever was to have a full complement of staff in a supermarket on St. Stephen's Day. There's no need at all. And I'm delighted to see Aldi and Little closing on Easter Sunday. Absolutely thrilled with that. My lover's got humour She's the giggle at a funeral Knows everybody's disapproval I should have worshipped her sooner If the heavens ever did speak 
She's the last true mouthpiece Every Sunday's getting more bleak Fresh poison each week We were born sick You heard them say it My church offers no absolutes She tells me worship in the bedroom The only heaven I'll be sent to Is when I'm alone with you I was born sick But I love it Command me to be Church Cox 96 FM. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. 
Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Quartz 96 FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie If there's one thing that is a necessary evil in modern Ireland, if you can afford it, that is, and you know, you count your lucky stars that you can, it's health insurance. Mine renews generally in August time, and I learned a few years ago about how to batter them down and improve it by a few quid. But it's getting harder, and it goes up again every year. There's a 4% hike from most of the suppliers the providers at the moment, but according to a piece I read in The Independent recently, that 4%, <laughs> no, 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 that's only where it starts. A lot of programmes have become much more expensive than that, and we're being encouraged once again to look around and shop around and move. Dermot Good, uh, Total Health Cover, joins me. Dermot, those 4% hikes were blamed on anything that they could think to blame them on, medical inflation being one of them, but they're a lot more than 4%, aren't they? Morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the devil is in the details. So they've all gone up, as, as you say, by between 4 and 5%. Leia just went up there at the weekend. Um, what's happened, though, PJ, is a lot of people are applying that 4% to their existing costs, you know, just to budget for what's coming. Yeah. And then when they get the renewal notice, they realize they're nowhere near the actual because some of the plans have gone up by as much as 10%. Um, and that's that's a, you know, well, it's a real shock for people, particularly people retired, let's just say, members on fixed incomes. Um, so, for example, Leia Simply Connect Plus, Leia Simply Connect, um, really good schemes, but those plans went up 10% at the weekend, um, not 4 or 5%. So a retired couple or two people on those plans are going to have to try and find an extra 300 euro um, or else they're going to have to shop around. And a lot of people don't have that extra money. And it's not just Leia Healthcare. I mean, VHI announced an increase of, I think, 4.8%. Some of the plans went up 7.5% like somebody on the Health Plus Extra, which is the old B option scheme, mm. like two adults on that plan will have to find an extra €422. Euro. And Irish Life, the exact same. Some of their plans went up 9% on the 1st of January. So I suppose really what I would say to all of your listeners is you kind of have to ignore those average figures that they put out there. And they're only a guide. You must look and see exactly what the impact is on your own policy. Mm. And I would advise anybody, you know, don't accept 10% of an increase at all without shopping around. Because believe it or not, PJ, some of the plans didn't actually go up, you know. So like Irish Life have a health guide scheme and two and three didn't go up. Um, Leia have a Connect Simplicity scheme, didn't go up last weekend. And VHI have plans like PMI 6, PMI 7, 10. They didn't go up. So if you don't engage with the insurance companies, and, and by the way, when I say engage with them, all mm. you have to say is, look, I don't have an extra 300 euro. My budget is X. And now what is the closest plan that you have that compared to my existing plan that fits that budget? That's all you have to do. And just sit back and let them troll through all their plans yeah. and let them come back with alternatives for you. And if you like what you will, hear... Will they cut you a deal you, to avoid losing you, Dermot? Well, here's the thing, PJ. They can't cut you a deal. Here's the, So the legislation... so. The plus side of the legislation, the way health insurance works here is that everybody gets charged the same. So yeah. there's no kind of wink, wink, nod, nod. If you phone up, we'll give you a deal. If you, if you don't phone, we won't, right? However, they all have about 100 plans each. 
So if and, and new plans come on stream nearly every month, right? Um, so if you don't phone up and kind of, let's just say, put them under pressure um, to basically get you a better deal, you won't find out about those new deals. Like, for example, anybody now with Leia who has two or more children under 18, well, they've just launched um, a, a free cover deal for the second and third child and fourth child under 18 where you get them insured for free. So if anybody's now currently with Leia and you're paying for all of your children under 18, you need to get on to Leia and check out a plan called Flex 125 Choice because for your second, third and fourth child, that's a brilliant plan and mm. it's free. But if you don't phone up PJ, you won't find out necessarily about those deals. So that's why picking up the phone is the most important thing. And by the way, if your renewal was already you know, passed on the 1st of April and even if you've paid your premium and you've told the insurance company, you know, here's what I'm doing, don't worry, you have right up to the 14th of April. You can undo that. You can still shop around. And there's plenty of advisors out there who will help you do that. So, But the key thing is don't let your policy, what we call auto-renew. And that yeah. just means you do nothing. And the insurance company loves those customers because they get extra premium from them without having to lift a finger to work for the business, if you know what I mean. I learned that a number of years ago, Dermot, and, and saved myself quite a considerable amount of money over a period of years. I'm at the position now where my kids are getting older and they're not going to be protected, if you like, under children. That's where I'm coming into this August. You know, my kids are in their 20s now and they're starting to become expensive. Yes. And now here's where once again, so, you know, no surprise for any parents out there. It doesn't get any cheaper to look after the kids as they get older. right? So here's what happens. Once they're up to 17 at renewal, you still get charged the children's rate. Once they are 18 at renewal, then there's what they call a young adult rate between 18 and 20. So they still get a huge discount, but it could be they could be paying double the children's rate. But here's something now, PJ, right? Anybody with Leia Healthcare who's on some of the old plans like the Flex 125 schemes, they need to be very careful because on those plans, there is no young adult rate. So if you have an, a 17-year-old who's just turned 18, your bill for that 18-year-old could go from 400 euro to 2,000 euro. Ooh. Okay, absolutely. But if you phone up Leia and simply say, right, for my 18-year-old, I want a young adult rate, you can put them on the Inspire, the Inspire Plus scheme, and I think on that plan, it's about 650 euro. Or you could switch the 18-year-old. There's a great deal right now with VHI for 18, 19, 20-year-olds. It's a plan called Company Plan Plus Level 1.3, and an 18, 19, 20-year-old on that plan is 450 euro, and it's a brilliant corporate plan. So you could actually take your 18-year-old off your layer or your Irish life policy and insure them on their own policy with VHI and save a huge amount of money and still have them on super cover. But yes, as your kids, once they turn 21, 22, you'll see the rate will go up by 15% each year until they get to 25, 26, and then they get charged the full adult rate. So hopefully, PJ, at that stage, they might be working yeah. and they'd be only too delighted to take on their own cover. But uh Here's Best of luck with that one. There you go. Another thing, too, that I think annoys a lot of people, um, Dermot, is that, you know, women in their late 40s, mid to late 40s, 50s, you know, their childbearing years, shall we say, are behind them. They're still paying for maternity. What's that about? Yeah. So, and, and this, this comes up all the time and it is a, you know, it is a point of frustration for a lot of people. So maybe just to explain this, there is a piece of legislation in the Irish market, which is really important. It's called minimum benefits. 
Now, minimum benefits, it's not there to make sure the insurance companies give every male and every female over 40 maternity cover and fertility cover. It's there to make sure that the insurance companies, that any plan that they bring to the market, that it has a minimum standard of cover on it. So, for example, every plan has maternity. It has 100 days of psychiatric cover. It has 91 days of substance abuse cover. You know, it has all these minimum elements. It must cover public hospitals fully and so on. Excuse me. So the reason for that is to make sure that the insurance companies don't cherry pick which benefits they want to provide. I'll give you an example, PJ. In the UK and other jurisdictions, you'll find psychiatric cover might be equivalent to one day's cover. Whereas in Ireland, every policy must cover 100 days. So I would say to any of your listeners, if you see items on your policy, like maternity, convalescence and so forth and psychiatric that aren't relevant to you, please just skip over them. They must be there. It's built into the overall average premium. So you're not being charged a huge amount extra to have that. But just, just don't give it a second thought. I mean, they are... They are looking, well, the regulator is supposed to be looking at minimum benefits. So hopefully in due course, they will give the insurance companies flexibility to maybe remove some of those benefits for people over a certain age because there's no point even having them showing up on the policy because yeah. people just won't avail of them. Like for example, you know? Dermot, I'm, I am a man. I'm not going to be having any children. I've been paying maternity cover since I first bought an insurance policy and I could never understand why. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Well, look, at you see, here's what happens, PJ, exactly. So the insurance companies have a schedule of surgical procedures. Let's just say there's five and a half, six thousand 6,000 procedures in that schedule. And that has every procedure that's specific to both male and females. Um, so everybody, I'm covered for every female procedure and, you know, and women are covered for every male procedure. Unfortunately, it's the way this community rating system I works. See. That keeps um, it the same price for everybody. It does, PJ, and it keeps everybody honest. It also means that, like, if you take the UK, for example, you know, young people get charged really low premiums. Um, Older people get priced out of the market because as you get older and as you claim more, your premium reflects that. It's like car insurance. So at least with health insurance in Ireland, whether you're 45 or 85, it's still relatively affordable and there are no penalties for claiming. And likewise, there's no bonuses for not claiming. So we say to everybody, and this is a message now to all of your listeners as well, PJ, claim everything that you're entitled to in your policy. We still get people saying, well, I didn't send in that receipt. I didn't claim that back because, look, I don't want to, you know, to affect my premium. It has no impact on your premium. So the only one you're letting off is the insurance company. So claim every cent that you're entitled to. Okay. Lastly, and here's something that's around a long time, and I was amazed to discover recently that it is still around. So if you're lucky enough to have somebody who works for a large multinational who has their own health insurance program with any one of the providers. So let us say off the top of my head, my first cousin works for Intel. If I get the name of his package as provided to him through work, I can just ring up and ask for it. Is that still there? Absolutely. Absolutely. So once again, you know, whilst I will give out about certain aspects of the legislation, but there are aspects here in in Ireland that are, you know, that are really pro-consumer. So every plan that's on the market, irrespective of what the name of the plan is or who the plan is designed for, once it hits the market, it's available to every consumer, whether they're 26 or 96. Um, The only difference is that 
the company scheme may get a 10% discount. You know, if you're joining that plan and you're not employed by the company, you won't get the 10% discount. But yes, if you phone up and, and ask. So, for example, I'll give you the three really good semi-private corporate plans right now in the market. So you have the Health Guide 2 with Irish Life Health, which is 1332. You have the Inspire Plus um, with Leia Healthcare, which is 1407. And you have the PMI 3513 with VHI, which is 1386. They're all three really good semi-private schemes that a lot of companies now will be putting in place for their employees. Any consumer can phone those insurance companies right now and ask about those plans. And once you ask for the plan by name, to be fair to the insurance companies, they will bring up the details, they'll go through it with you. And if you want to join, you can join, no issue whatsoever. And that's, you know, that's a really positive thing. So any parents listening now who maybe have sons or daughters working in some of these really good companies that pay the health insurance for their employees, just ask them what's the name of the plan that they're on and uh, phone up yourself and check it out. And if you like it, you can join it just like anybody else. That's great. And good to know that's still there. I think last, very, very briefly, Dermot, what you would advise people to make contact with someone like yourself or some advisor when it comes to renewal time, particularly if their kids are getting older. Yeah, what what I'd say to people is to... Health insurance, think of it just like car insurance and home insurance. Shop around each year. Don't just let your policy roll over. Now, a lot of people are very good at doing this and, you know, they know how to engage with the insurance companies and they know when they're maybe being fobbed off or they're not getting the exact details and they'll persevere. So you can do this yourself, right? And at the very least, phone your existing insurer way before your renewal. But if you find it too daunting, if you're really worried about making any changes because you have existing conditions or for whatever reason, if you're just not up for the task, PJ, there are loads of advisors around the country who will help people with this, you know, and if there's a fee, pay them a fee. Let them do it all for you because I'll give you maybe one last example, PJ. There are people out there now who are on plans like Health Plus Extra, VHI, Level 2 Hospital Irish Life, Essential Plus with Leia. These plans cost €3,000 plus. And I can say to each of those people on those plans, you are potentially missing out on at least a thousand euro per adult of savings, in some cases for better cover. So don't let those savings go past you, right? And if you have to pay a fee of 150 to get that reviewed or whatever, if you can save 2,000 euro, well, that's a good day's work. So, you know, make sure you do the review work. And even if you decide to stay on the same plan, at least you've looked at the other options, but just don't let the policies auto-renew. It's too expensive. And there's some phenomenal deals out there that a lot of people are still not aware of. You know, so look, you know, make the insurance companies work for your business and um, and just obviously you know, the last thing is make sure you check everything in advance. Never go into hospital, never get anything done, never get an MRI done without phoning your insurer and making sure you are fully covered because everything they tell you is recorded. All right, Dermot, thank you, Dermot. Good. Uh, total health cover. Don't let it roll over. Remember the first time I took advice from someone like Dermot quite a few years ago. Now, in my very first year, I saved 950 euro. So it's there to be saved. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM.
Yeah, Kevin was listening to Dermot Good talking about health insurance and he says, listening to this, he says, is the reason why I break my ass laughing when my friends in the UK complained about the NHS. Yeah, the NHS is in a mess at the moment. It's, it's pretty crocked. But still, it would leave our crowd, our public crowd, in the halfpenny place where people are complaining about delays in seeing doctors and delays in getting things done and all of that. By British standards, the NHS is crocked at the moment. Trust me, by our standards, we'd look at it and go, my God, this is brilliant. Yeah. On the supermarkets, Duns are closed on Easter Sunday, as well as Aldi and Lidl. Good. Good. And so they should be. Call me old-fashioned, if you will, but I think there are certain days in the year where there's no need for Duns or Aldi or Lidl or Tesco or any of those to be open. And yeah, even the big super values. I've no problem with Little Corner Shop. No difficulty with those or the shops attached to garages. There's no real difficulty with those. People will have essentials on the day. But you do not need a big supermarket open for a big shop on on, on, on Easter Sunday or I would say Christmas Day or Stephen's Day. You don't need Stephen's Day either. Or you don't need it Patrick's Day, I would say. Call me old-fashioned if you will and some people will. 0818 96 96 96 Also some more stuff coming in Houses and bidding and auctions and all of that But I want to talk for a wee while If you'll allow me To Michelle Brown Who is a professional family mediator And I'm particularly addressing this conversation To people who are listening this morning Who are stuck in a marriage That they know they want to end it But they're afraid to get out of it And possibly even both People in the marriage want out of it, but are afraid to even start. And they end up hating each other even more than they did. And what might be salvageable as a decent friendship will end up with two people who can't stand the sight of each other if they don't get something done about the state of the relationship now. A divorce has been legal in Ireland for God knows how long. Michelle, you work now as a family mediator and and, and you believe that a lot of divorces don't really need to see the inside of a court until they're being signed off on. Good morning. Good morning, uh, PJ. Absolutely. Yes, you, you couldn't have said it better. Um, people are afraid to deal with the system. Um, and it is something that needs to be addressed. It's something that's long overdue. Mm. Um, we've been dealing with, with divorce in Ireland for 25 years and primarily through the courts. We know wholeheartedly that this system is broken and it's not fit for purpose. Now, I will say, first of all, thankfully, the awareness of mediation is on the increase. People deciding themselves of their own bat to go to mediation is on the increase, but only very recently. So we know it's effective. We know as mediators that it is, it is the most amicable way, the most likely way of having... Um, some kind of a relationship afterwards that we can parent our children together. Um, so, you know, that's on the increase and the Mediation Act of 2018 has helped tremendously because, you know, the, the, there is an awful lot that we can do to get people um, with professional mediation sorted that they don't need to go near the courts at all. I know you're doing a lot of this from your own personal experience and I'll get to that in a moment, yeah. Michelle, but just one Laymanese question before we start. Every divorce that is granted must be 
in the end granted by a court, correct? Correct. A judge is the only one who can grant a divorce, correct. But we want to get people to the point where they have terms for a consent divorce and there is not need for a court battle. Now, mediation can organise a a legally binding separation agreement without going to court. But your divorce, your correct, must be dealt with in front of a judge. But it's how we deal with it. You know, um, really we believe that it isn't necessary for couples to fight in court. And I suppose to take the stand that people separating and divorcing are not criminals would be where I'm coming from. Now, this is very personal to you because you broke up, your marriage broke up when you were in your late 20s. Correct. What happened? Um, Well, my my own sad marriage breakup um, led me to a solicitor. And what I have experienced in the courts I wouldn't wish on anybody but what I have seen since is that my story is the story of hundreds if not thousands of more people over the years so you know the sadness of a breakup is is something that we can deal with and we all deal with differently but enduring the court battle that is the norm or has been for years is something that is an experience that you know, anybody who's gone through it, most people don't want to talk about it. They'd rather forget about it. And going through it, you think, this isn't right. Because your own experience taught you there must be a better way. So yeah. well, what in, sort in, of thing in, did you go through? Instinctively, I knew that this was wrong. I mean, you're, you're battling with your own legal team and you're, you're, you're waiting and you're, you know, you're going through a process that you don't understand. And why would people understand what's got, you know, it's, it's not something that you've ever done before. Um, as it was pointed out to me, my generation would probably be the first generation to have to deal with it this way. I suppose, look, the court system is an unfamiliar territory. So whilst you're in there, you're feeling like a criminal, like you've done something wrong. First of all, that's wrong. That shouldn't be the case. It's not necessary. It's not necessary for people who are enduring that. You're trying to keep your family together. You have concerns with regard to your children and so on. And you have concerns about your future finances and so on. So, you know, preparing and battling against your spouse, that you know, you married to rear children together, is not the way we need to be treated as people who are separating and divorcing. Having children... You don't want to put them, because I'm sure, you, you know, people fall out of love with each other, relationships end, but you both love your children fiercely. You exactly. don't want to, You don't want to be pulling them through the court, and yet, you had no choice. You have no choice. In those days, <laughs> I'm not that old, in those days, I didn't know anything about mediation. Now, look, the law states, current things have come a long way, thankfully, and, 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 and the law states that... If anybody um, goes to a solicitor for separation or divorce, there is a legal obligation on your solicitor to recommend mediation. Okay. Now, unfortunately, I don't believe that law is effective enough. I believe the government needs to do an awful lot more. I didn't know that was the case. Yeah, yeah. No, since um, the Mediation Act of 2017, which which is obviously helping mediation, um, that has been in place, that solicitors must advise you to mediation. Um, and not only advise you to go to mediation, they must give you the information of a mediator, but those of us in the field know that, unfortunately, that law is ill-effective. Yeah. So, well, I mean, 
you know, you could understand. So the government needs to do more. Mediation is supported by the government uh, through the Legal Aid Board, but, and through, you know, judges will always recommend mediation, but we need to do more. Mm. I would like to see the government address mandatory mediation for people with children to help reduce the negative impact divorce has on children. Yeah. In your own case, like, what would mediation have saved you from? Well, uh, apart from the th- thousands, money is one issue, first of all. So the, the cost with mediation is drastically reduces the cost, but also the length of time. And the endurance test that is uh, divorced through the courts, it takes years. So the impact of years of a court case, it, it, anybody who, who, who thinks of a court case thinks of stress. So if you can imagine individuals raising children, dealing with years of stress and financial impact. So obviously without that, the quality of life is better. But the communication with your spouse breaks down generally when a solicitor is sending letters back and forth. Yeah. Okay. So if you're unable to communicate effectively, it's made worse through the, the mm. traditional system. So obviously parenting becomes harder. Yeah. And then the impact on the children. And, and uh, with all the best will in the world, children are impacted by divorce. I'm sure they are. I'm sure. <laughs> like, if John and Mary are sitting in your room, Michelle, and their marriage is clearly at an end, but they're struggling to speak two civil words to one another, that's not a good start for mediation, correct? Or am I correct. Right? No, no, absolutely correct. And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because, first of all, Mediation does not have to have the two individuals in the same room. We will always see individuals separately before seeing them together. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. People can be at different stages. But when a marriage breaks down, there is conflict and people are generally um, in a, a state of fight or flight. Okay, so when conflict is happening, they don't necessarily always want to be in the same room together but I will see them always separately before making a decision and talking to them about whether or not we come together but it is possible to mediate with clients at separate times at separate intervals at separate meetings Do the children have to be in the room at any point? No, the children do not have to be in the room but parenting is a huge part um, of our process in mediation and we will always deal with parenting issues separately we will always try and bring the voice of the child into the mediation room but not physically the child and you know I don't believe it is always in the best interest it is something that is possible in law to bring a child into mediation but personally I believe that you know if parents are cognizant as to the children and we can bring them in through our mediations, that it is not necessary to bring them into the, physically into the room. Did you have to bring your children into court? Do children have to come into court? That must be traumatising for them in the court system. It's traumatising for the children in the court systems where children or where parents cannot agree. It is. It, 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 it does happen that a judge will speak to children. But if you're at that point, that you've gone to that escalation, um, you know, it, it, it's not... It's not uh, in, in the best interest of the children. This is why we, we must change the way we're dealing with things. Mediation is there. We know it is the most effective way with dealing with divorce or separation. So w- w- we need to, you know, 
open this conversation up a little bit more, let people understand the negative impacts. I mean, as children in court, I couldn't think of anything worse or more no. traumatising for them. No, no, no. You say yourself that your own experience of the courts left you left you scarred for life. <laughs> I did, I did. And, um, you know, a protracted court case that went on over years had a massive negative impact. The one thing I know for sure now is that this is not an experience that, you know, is ju- just me. Uh, this is the experience of most people who are dealing with the court settings. And, you know, it, it just reinforces the need for to change what we're doing. Mm. We are not criminals. We uh, voted um, 25 years ago and we have divorce. That is something that, that is in our legislation. We now need to make it more accessible without the need to be tortured. I don't think people were talking about it for years because there was some form of shame. There yeah. was some form of guilt. But yeah. the fact is, we, we shouldn't be tortured in the manner in which we are through the court systems. Yeah, yeah. I can hear it even, even listening to you. I can, I can hear that the memories are still there. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm delighted to be in a position where I'm helping people um, to keep them out of that system. And I'm delighted that mediation is on the increase. Mm. Um, but I would like to see the government do more. Is there, a, is there a rule of thumb that you'd know once you sit down with the aforementioned John and Mary mm-hmm. that mediation ain't going to work? Or can you make it work for most situations? And the longer I'm doing it, uh, uh, I can tell you straight off what won't work. What won't work is if a person doesn't want this or isn't ready or doesn't want to break up. That is the big, the big key, you know, if you're not ready to actually deal with it. But that is something that we need help with to highlight that we all have the right to get a separation or a divorce in this country and that we live in a, a, a system, a state that has a no-fault um, it, what no false state, which basically means it doesn't matter what anybody did, so long as it's not criminal, that you're entitled to apply for a divorce, and it's something you're entitled to get. So, when people come and one person isn't ready for the breakup, that'll make it very, very difficult to mediate. Yeah. But whereby people are in a position that they are saying, "Okay, I have to do this. We're breaking up. You, you, you know, anything can be mediated." Mm. I've spoken to people who are divorced and after the divorce once the bruises have settled as it were they actually end up becoming very good friends and and they they co-parent as friends going forward can mediation I'm sure you're going to tell me it is can mediation set a better foundation for that to happen absolutely and that's the objective that we can help people make plans for to co-parent in a way that they have input. So if you can imagine the difference between the court setting and the mediation setting is that you're determining an agreement that's workable for the two of you. If you go through the the traditional court settings, it's out of your control and it's out of your hands and somebody else is dictating what's happening. So there's less likelihood of it working or there's less, obviously, you know, things are court ordered, they're court ordered, but whereby you have input into that agreement, 
it is the better way and the more effective way for relations afterwards. There are, there are probably people listening to us right now, Michelle, sitting at the kitchen table with their coffee or in the office listening to us and thinking, my marriage is goosed a long mm-hmm. time ago. We, we tolerate each other and that's about the limit of it. But we're not going to do anything until the children turn 18. But that's not a healthy way to live. No, it's not. And I suppose that that feeds back into, you know, the shame and the stigma around divorce and how that affects us all. Um, And thankfully, things are improving. But I do feel if we had an easier uh, system that was for all as a society, we chose not to judge, you know, marriages break up, people change, people, as you say, fall out of love for whatever reasons that a marriage breaks up that as a society, we deal with that marriage breakup in a more amicable fashion, that we're not treating each other as criminals by dragging each other through the court system. If anybody is listening who would like to contact you, have you got a website? Sure. It's brownandcomediation.ie. And brown with an E. Brown with an E. All right. Thank you very much, Michelle. Uh, Appreciate the conversation. Brown and Company. Brown with an E and comediation.ie. If you think that what she's talking about might apply to you, don't sit there until the children are of a certain age and, and you'll only end up hating each other even more. You'll only end up unhappier than you already are now. And it's not a crime for your marriage to end. It's not a crime to be going out to get divorced. And there's probably a hundred easier ways than doing it than dragging you, the children and the property through the courts. Thank you, Michelle. 0818 96 96 96. On the bank, on the bank holidays, I really have kicked a puppy here, you know. I was saying to, a while ago, I, I, this idea that, you know, it's a, it's a good thing that big shops close on Easter Sunday. It shouldn't be. I don't think they should be open at all. Same with Christmas Day, same with Stephen's Day, and I don't think the really big stores need to be open on St. Patrick's Day. That's just me. You know, we'll go shopping on Saturday and get a few bits in for the weekend and that's fine we won't need a big shop on Sunday if I need a pint of milk I'll go to the corner shop if I want sausages for the breakfast and I forget them I'll nip up the corner shop that's a different thing but Bernie says then you know there's a lot of people really look forward to going out on Stephen's Day on Patrick's Day and having the chat and maybe a coffee it breaks the four walls or takes them away from their family for a bit or from an even darker situation You have to think of that as well. Bernie, I do think of that. And I'm thinking, if you need to get out on Patrick's Day or Easter Sunday, the door isn't locked. Open the door and go out and go for a walk. Go for a walk. Clear your head. Go down by the river for a walk and clear your head. Do you need Super Value to be open? Do you need Duns or Aldi or Lidl to be open to get you out? But, again, that's not my experience. I appreciate it. 0818969696 on auctioneers. This is from Jer. I went to buy a house seven years ago and I placed the asking price as a bid. Then the auctioneer rang and said someone had counterbid me. I bid some more and the person bid back. Then I bid, then the person bid, then blah, 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 blah. Then the auctioneer came back to me and I said, no thanks. House needs a bit of work so I'm not going any further. Four weeks passed. The auctioneer rang me to say that apparently the person who was bidding against me couldn't get the funds now 
and he'd be happy to accept my last bid. I told him all those other bids were then obsolete, so I'd only offer my first bid. He refused, I refused to budge, and I pulled out completely. The house is still empty two years later. Two years later. And that's from Ger. Well, good man, Ger, for... I presume Ger is a man. Why should I assume that? I just do. Um, good person, Jill, or Ger, for not accepting what was being put on the table here, that the other bidder was gone and now they accept your higher bid. No, first bid only. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Do you remember we were talking last week with Jessica who wanted people to be a bit kinder to kids who were playing in estates. I don't have the email to hand or the message to hand. It was lovely. Um, but we did get rather a lengthy voice note from Alexandra on the same subject. And let you hear that next. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM Question 10. What chess piece moves first? The pawn. So you actually got 9 out of 10. I know. And then the one that you obviously had doubts about, uh, what chess piece moves first, the correct answer, unfortunately, is pawn. You've just won 2,000 euros! Boom! Shaka! You can buy a defibrillator now. <laughs> I know, I know. Now that I've won the two grand, everything is great. Lad, you've made my day and oh. my daughter. We're just over the moon. Congratulations. Well done. Thanks for yes. Stacking up the cash. Yes. Cash. The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Bugs 96 I'll come back to that response we got to what Jessica sent us, but I will also read it again um, because it was lovely. But staying on the subject of of children, here's one. Have you any idea how much your children cost you? And what years of your children's life are the most costly? Because as anyone who's had a couple knows, they are expensive little creatures from whether they are small and on your hip and in their cot and in their buggy buggies cost a fortune to through, through national school through secondary school into college or wherever they happen to go afterwards they cost you an awful lot of money and if they are proving stressful for the Irish budgeting mammy they're proving stressful for everybody, the Irish budgeting mammy, of course, is Anne-Marie, with a huge following on Instagram. And she's been talking on her gram recently about the cost of having kids. And her kids are now all of different ages. And I think, Anne-Marie, the cost of it is eye-watering stuff. And how, how, many, how many do you have and what, what, age are they, what ages are, are they now? Morning to you. Good morning. How are you? So they're 17, 15, 11 and 3. So they're all changing birthdays now in the summer. So they'll be up to the maximum at 18 soon. Right. Well, 18, uh, as someone who's a bit further down the road in terms of parenting, 18 is where the fun starts. 
Yes, I didn't realise that one at all. <laughs> but seriously, though, when you, if you were to sit down, I think, with a pen and paper and write down everything you've spent on your kids since they were born, you'd give them back. They are expensive. They are very expensive. And people always said it was, you know, a new baby and different things like that. It's not. It's 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 when I never, I've, t- I've two, my two eldest are boys. I never antest- anticipated two six foot boys looking down on me that literally eating me out of house and home and the food costs are out the door and I can't do anything about it. They're constantly, I bring in the shopping, they eat it all, they're all into their protein and, you know, they're looking after the right nutrients and they're just eating me out of house and home and I didn't see that when I had two little toddlers looking at me. Yeah, Babies are expensive. The minute they come out of the womb and into the cot, they're expensive. But it changes, doesn't it? You can predict what babies need. You can kind of predict what national school kids need. It's when they become teenagers, then the predictability goes out of it. Absolutely. And the thing is, these simple things like leaving lights on, <laughs> um, constant showers, leave a, get, leaving their immersion on all night, all these simple things, unless I become my own household prison guard, I can't control these all the time because I do have to go to work. I do have to leave the house and I do come home and it's like a lighthouse when I'm coming up the road. Mm-hmm. After COVID, when we came out of lockdown, People that come into a false sense of security. Some people even managed to do things like clear overdrafts and pay off some bills when they weren't going out, they weren't going to the pub, the children weren't doing activities. Now it's all back to normal. You were definitely was a false sense of security. Like even myself, I paid off my credit union loans at that time and it was really, really easy. I saved up and bought a new heating boiler for the house and it was a huge big sense of security and then when we when we kind of start coming back into society again and um, prices were going up with the food ESB costs all that kind of thing they were all rising and now everyone's like in a panic going I have no money I have no money and I think that's the main point as well is to not to panic because it, it's it's not your fault it's not like you're excessively spending it's just the way things are at the moment hmm. like I'm joking there obviously but if you saw what they cost you'd, you'd give it back but yes. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking of people you know struggling already with the high cost yes. of living and I'm sure you're getting the messages in to, to your page how do Absolutely. we survive I would say to people, pay your bills. If you can pay your bills and you can put food on the table, everything else is an extra. And I think rather than getting caught up in what other people are doing and different things like that, just kind of concentrate on those basics. And then whatever else you've left at the end of the month, that can be used for extras. And it's okay to say no as well. I do say no to mine. Um, And, you know, it's hard sometimes to say no. And I think as they get older, it's even harder to say no. Like, because if you say no to a toddler, they have a temper tantrum. You say no to a teen, they have a million reasons why you shouldn't say no. You're ruining my life. (laughs) <laughs> they can talk you literally talk you into buying whatever they want it's like mm. and I often notice this is what I've been a mom of teens now I've noticed when I'm tired they hit me with the question and I'm like oh yeah yeah whatever and the next thing is oh, I need the money for that but you said yeah and I said I just didn't even listen to you so you know it, it's it's kind of just been a lot, a lot of self-awareness as well. Yeah. As you've been saying ever since you started this on Instagram, it's all about planning. It's all about setting the couple of quid aside here, the little saving there, keeping the receipt, that sort of thing. The predictability is gone in the late teens because they're completely unpredictable. You can get to the end of a month and they arrive in, Mom, 
I need a hundred euro. Yeah, I've noticed this a lot with mine actually. Um, I have a school tour. I said, "When do you need the money for tomorrow?" Because because <laughs> I'm not getting the notes home in the school bag anymore. So what I'm kind of saying to people is kind of put a little bit of I call it a buffer. So I kind of keep two hundred euro kind of just there for things like that. If, if a bill runs over or they come and they hit me with um kind of money, you know, I need that money exactly tomorrow. That kind of things. So just kind of I've been trying to keep a two hundred euro what I call a buffer just for those kind of things yeah there's lots of people listening to us who are struggling to keep food in the larder all jokes aside school going children are expensive and i think people are probably listening to us this morning who are living in fear of being asked for an extra 20 quid how do they prepare for it or can they i um, the buffer that's the only kind of way i can say you know it's you know definitely things are I'm fearful of college and co- the college is one that's coming up quite often with many people and I am fearful of college courses because you don't know what they're going to become you don't know and you don't want to be the person to say, actually no you can't do that because I can't pay for it yes. I my eldest is going to be is doing his leaving start this year I know what he wants to do I was very lucky he picked something close to home but then I have another one that's coming up you know, really racing up directly behind him. And that's the one that has me stressed out because he doesn't have an idea what he wants. He's saying all these mad things. And I, I don't ever want to be have to turn around and say, no, sorry, you can't do that because I can't afford it. And I think that's the huge yeah. worry that's happening at the moment. Isn't that the point, Anne-Marie, at which people think I failed my children? Yeah. And that's it. I just, that's what I said. I feel guilty at times. And when I said that on my Instagram, I had so many messages from so many parents and that's exactly the words guilt and worry. That's what they're feeling. They're feeling guilt and worry. And as well, I think t- teens can become quite manipulative. So you get a lot of, well, his parents bought him that. Or, you know, I, I'm mm. hearing this all the time. Um, why can't you? And it's literally you have to, I, I've had to just turn around and say, look, I can't. It's just not possible. I don't know how somebody else's house is run. I said, but I can't afford to can do whatever you want. Yeah. The other thing, of course, that we try to do as parents is we try to keep our worries out of their heads. It isn't always possible. No, and I think it, it doesn't pr- provide a real, realistic view of life as well. I I have one of my, my eldest got a car and then he's like putting loads of money into it. And he goes to me every time I get paid because he's a part time job, it has to go out in bills. And I said, well, welcome to adulthood. Yeah. I, was like, I said, I didn't want you to buy a car that quick. I said, you wouldn't wait. I said, well, welcome to adulthood. This is the way it is. So it, they do need those life lessons as well, because, you know, they have to look after their own money eventually someday. So eventually they're going to have to budget themselves. There's a thing like that. That's quite a mature young man with with a car, yeah. but but like he wants to go away for the weekend with his mates, but he doesn't have any money for petrol. Do you? There's the moral dilemma. Does mom or dad give him money for petrol? No, no, no. I've I've I'm quite strict with the social life kind of thing. I says your social life, you pay for it. I will do lifts. Like if they need a lift home, I will never charge them or anything like that. Like, I, like, cause I like to get them home safe. But when it come to things like that, I said, no, you have to have your own money for going out. I probably sound terrible, but yeah. unless it was a birthday or something like that, you know, so a special occasion, because you could be constantly, I said, I, I said, I'm in complete taxi driver mode myself at the moment. And, um, 
I said, between all of you going here, there and yonder, and I'm I'm forking the diesel. So I do say, no, you have to fund your own, your own kind of social life and that kind of thing. Yeah. How is the page going? I know you picked up huge followers over lockdown. We talked before about, you know, putting the couple of quid aside here, the little bit of a manage, as we used to call it there, the buffer, as you call it trying to make a few quid on the side through side hustling that that's a fun part of what you do how's it going for you the page is going good i always laugh because i i'm doing it a few years now so i during the kind of whole lockdown was growing 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 but now i've noticed um that budgeting has a season <laughs> and I've, I've i spoke about this on my page i noticed directly after christmas people are really into the budgeting and all you know everything to do with budgeting and then it kind of weans off around this kind of year this is the second year i've noticed this and then come september again to christmas it's full-on budgeting so definitely budgeting has the season and i think people are saving for summer holidays and different things and they really don't want to be looking at you know, the, I think the good way it makes us all kind of spend a little bit more. Yeah, the funny thing actually that you should say that because me personally, I'd, I'd be an alright saver, but one thing I become very good at is saving for the summer holidays. It's a target, it's something you're going to be doing yes. for two and a half weeks in July and you save hard for it. If we could use that discipline at other times of the year <laughs> We'd be doing much yeah. better. <laughs> we would. <laughs> and it's okay to have a bad kind of month or two saving as well. People get very worked up and then they just throw, oh, I can never manage that. I think it's very important to keep it real because we, like even myself, there's not just times I just, I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't want to do it. And then you kind of get the oomph up again. You're kind of, you're back into the swing of things. But it, it's important to kind of just make everybody aware we're not all perfect all the time. Yeah. I'm broadening out a bit more here than Marie, maybe than I thought we'd go. But like, has the cashless world made it harder to put a couple of quid. You talked about having that 200 euro buffer. Has the world of cashless payment made it harder to do that? Absolutely. Like, I mean, you're going to walk in and you can tap your cards for for something that's going to cost you six euro. But if you walk in with a 50 euro in your hand, you you don't want to break that 50, you know, for something six euro, maybe a bag of crisps, a bar of chocolate and a a drink, you know, that kind of way. So it's definitely has made it a little bit harder because people are tap and tap and tap and yes yes they are and moreover then if you break a 20 and you spend 12 or 13 quid you put that six into a jam jar that's where the saving comes from yes that that six isn't there the energy crisis from the people following on your page I mean, we've talked here on the programme many times about the gas bill landing after Christmas, then the electric bill landing after that, and now the second round of them are there. And even with the credit from the government, they're still painful. It's much harder this year than it was last year, isn't it? Absolutely. My, my um, more, our mortgage is costing me, my electricity and my mortgage are costing the same every month. And like, I don't have a big mortgage or anything like that. I'm really lucky that way, but it's still making me think, why am I paying out? Why, why so much money going on electricity? And this, the whole thing with the teens, you know, they, they plug things in, they never turn off lights. They have so many showers using, get we have electric heater. I keep taking out of their room. They keep putting it back in. <laughs> so, you know, it is, it's making it really, really difficult. And everybody is really, really, really have felt the pinch with that. Have you come up with any ideas for people as to how they might help, like this, the level pay thing of trying to give yes. your, your, your supplier the, the same amount every month can work out really well. 
Yes, I'm using the level pay at the moment, actually, and it works out really well. But what I also do is because it's still kind of come up a bit more expensive all the time. I, I tr- I, every time I say like children's allowance today, I put in 10 euro online into my electricity. And it kind of just gives you, that again, a buffer that you kind of have a little bit extra there all the time. Yeah. Your message is constantly as well, Anne-Marie, lastly. It is don't put yourself under pressure. Cover what needs to be covered. And, yes. And put what you can aside. Absolutely, because people are sitting up worrying at night and, you know, we can only do so much worrying, but it doesn't it doesn't help anything. So it's, you know, it's get involved, kind of follow pages on the Instagram, every community, little things. You don't have to look at them all the time, but it kind of keeps you motivated and means that it also makes you know that you're not alone in this, that we're all feeling it. And how important is a list of priorities? Very important. Um, you know, kind of know what your priority, like you said, the summer holiday. For me, that's one of my big priorities because it's the one time of the year we all spend together. So if I really, you know, if that's really, really important for me to save for, I'll save for it. But then I might go out for as many coffee with my friends or I might yeah. go to beauticians as much and all that kind of thing. Just I will cut back for that priority. But like I said, that can be completely out of reach for many people at the moment yeah. because of the costs. So your biggest priority is just your bills that are in your house, your food and your table, a warm house, and that's it. Everything else is an extra. Everything else is an extra, and it's a tough time, but you have to keep with the belief, don't you? We'll get through it. Oh, yes. I went through the last recession. I, I think if I made it through that one, I make it through any of them. So Yeah. Anne-Marie, always a pleasure to catch up. Thank you very much. Thanks a million for having me. Thanks a lot. You're more than welcome. And if you want to catch up with her on Instagram, a lot of interesting advice there. Uh, Irish budgeting mammy on Instagram. Talk about those energy bills. Uh, we've had our second, I think most people are getting their second ones of the year or have them by now. My first two gas and electric bills. I never mind sharing this here because, you know, it's reflective of everybody else's house. Uh, 960 I dropped in January and early February between gas and electric. And it doesn't roll off the tongue half as easy as it sounds, I may tell you. 960 it cost me. The second set are now through and they will cost me or will have cost me with the time I've paid them just under 700 and 70. So a little bit of a drop in the first couple of bills. And I have gas and electric coming in from the one supplier. But uh, they're not easy. They're not, and I thank my lucky stars we're able to sustain them, to be perfectly honest with you. 0818 96 96 96. Do you hate your name? Do you ever wonder what were my parents thinking when they named me my particular name? Well, change your name day. Change your name day is this Sunday, Easter Sunday, 9th of April. It's National Name Yourself Day. And a company called Name Tags, mynametags.ie, did a survey to find out what people think about their name and whether they'd change it if they got an opportunity. And quite a number of them would do. Um, in New Zealand a few years ago, they banned a number of names. They actually banned them. You can't call your children certain things. And there's also a list you'll find on familyminded.com of some of them are unbelievable absolutely like someone actually called their daughter Carrion C-A-R-R-I-O-N that's rotting flesh someone called their daughter Carrion 
Do you have a name that you hate? Next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. In New Zealand, it is illegal to call your child Lucifer. It is against the law to actually Why you would want to, I, I know not. But yes, Lucifer is one of 77 names actually legally banned in New Zealand. Another one is anal, A-N-A-L, although I can't imagine why you'd want to do that at all to a child. Um, there's another list of names. Like Someone actually called their child custard. It's on record. Someone in the world actually called their child custard. Someone else called their poor misfortunate offspring denim. <laughs> Seriously. Um, someone just called their child girl and someone else called their child God's masterpiece. Uh, yeah. Um, and in New Zealand, a person got into trouble for calling their children Benson and Hedges. Twins. Twin boys. Benson and Hedges. I have to say I laughed at that one. Or do you know the idea where you sometimes name your child after where they were conceived? In... New Zealand, they actually had to ban someone from calling their child the number 16 bus shelter. I kid you not. Lars Anderson is founder and MD of MyNameTags.ie and he did this survey, Lars. 14% of us would, if we could, change our first names. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, 14% uh, of of Irish adults that we, uh, we surveyed say that they would like to change their names i mean they they could uh clearly it's it's a little bit um sort of painful not only just the paperwork but also the explaining to all your your friends that you're now called custard or <laughs> or, or, or whatever name you would you would like hopefully not not custard or or, or lucifer i think <laughs> you you would wonder but, yeah, what was going through a person's mind when they wanted to call their child lucifer yeah, it, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think you know, we we name our, we try to kind of give our our children the best start in life, and and but it's so difficult to come up with a name, and and you have this worry that that name will will kind of be with them and and possibly uh, sort of make them mocked at school, etc. You know, so so how do you choose? Do you go for grand grandparents, great grandparents, or do you go for for film stars or, or do you yeah uh, do you go for for food do, do names follow <laughs> fashion though I remember when we have, we have twins boy and a girl and I remember we went we agonised for hours on what we were going to call them one of the names that was considered to my son was Adam and I ruled it out because I remember a teacher in school whose nickname was Adam and I hated the man so I couldn't call my son Adam do you know yes no <laughs> We we uh, we have these people, you know. If 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 we met seven Johns, uh, seven people named John, who who were really smart, really kind, we have that really positive feeling of John is a great name. Uh, or or it could be the other way around. You had yeah, you have someone you you really hate, and 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 it just uh, doesn't work. Or mm. it it can mean something for you. I'm I was born in Norway, and and my wife when we had children was was suggesting Angel. Uh, and and 
that might work in English, but in Norwegian it means fish bait. So, so it's kind of <laughs> <laughs> the risks of of, uh, of, of languages too. Yes, I, I did not name my, my child Fishbait. I no, thought no. that would be a little bit cruel. Your, your survey also said, looked at, the, you know, the names that are popular. Good standard names. Emily's still very popular. James, Noah. Noah very popular these days, remember? And more popular than it used to be. But fashionable names. Lulu and Casey. Thank you, Love Island. <laughs> Yeah, I think, as you're saying, you know, it, names go up and out. It, it, it's, certain names are fashionable, and and we, if if there's a name that we hear on on TV all the time, we might kind of get inspired. And and I think when when we ask people, would you like to call yourself something else? A number of people did say that they would love love to call themselves Alison Cordelia, Mallory, and Lulu, or or as a as a boy, James, Ken, Ryan, and Casey. That that might be a bit more sort of yeah spur of the moment maybe than than uh, considered for some of them but uh, yes we get inspired by by whatever is in in fashion uh, great actors um, great TV show Netflix uh, yes. musicians Na- neighbors do you remember neighbors in the eighties Cork was. Alive with Scots and Charlene's from Neighbours in the 80s. And s- someone here uh, has a co-worker who had God's swill on his name tag. He said his mum was very religious. Yes, no, I, I think in, 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 in sort of Puritan Americas, a few hundred years ago, there were a number of people were, were called you know, Grace, Deliverance, God's Will, uh, Temperance, uh, all those those words that were supposed to help, I think, uh, your your child uh, be be good in the world. So so it yeah. comes from a good place. Doesn't uh, work very well in a business boardroom, though, in in a, in a high tech in a global company to be calling yourself by strange names. Lars, thank you. People can find out more about your survey and your company. Indeed, my name tags dot ie. Appreciate it. If you want to change your name, go ahead and change your name. I don't particularly. You can change anything you want about yourself today, PJ. Don't go there. You can, can't you? The top of a hat. That's it. Programme edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. I am not here tomorrow or Friday. Be nice to Paul Bourne, or he'll turn on you. Only joking. Have a lovely Easter. I'll talk to you Tuesday, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM.